All right, we'll start recording. Um, I do not know. Hold on. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, can nope. you get that? There goes the earpiece. Watch your head, though, when you come back up. Got you. All right, girl. We'll say goodbye because we're on a timeline. Bye. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you. You're good, girlfriend. What's up, John? So, Craig, Isaac, how are you boys doing? Good, brother. Good, good, good. We're good. My, uh, when did we talk? It was like May or June. I think it was May. May. It could have been. It could have been this latest June. I moved here on the twenty eighth of June, so it was definitely before I got May. You know, yeah, because I think you were just you would when when uh, maybe two weeks after I think is when I started seeing you doing redoing the floors. Maybe is that right? Um, It was probably a month after. Yeah. Okay, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. It's been a minute. It has, dude. I mean, it looks great, though. I love, I love the look. Uh, the, like the background's great. Sounds it, good. It, it's getting there, definitely. Yeah. Still got a bit of work to do, but I'm being careful with my finances. After selling all my bikes, they all went into this, and yeah, so it's a great investment, though. Dude, here's the thing about houses, man. It's it's not a ra- It's not a. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You yep. know what I mean? So, I mean, dude, like you can have the house for a long time and just do things as you feel. You know, it's, it's not like it's like. You know, it's not like it's a bike where you're like that, that, that pressing, like it has to be done this way or whatever, because here's the thing, you could do everything to it. And then a month later, you're going to see someone else with like a different set of can lights. And you're going to be like, man, I wish I would have waited. Exactly. Exactly. So slowly, but surely getting there. I'm, uh, I'm going to have, my sons do have questions for you. So I'm going to actually invite them up uh, during the interview uh, to ask. They have a couple questions. My question uh let's see my question is is first and foremost are we going to see the uh those harlow sweatshirts make a comeback <laughs> that's why i wore it uh we just ordered them again last week so fantastic yeah, so many people have hit us up shane graham playing me in the movie is wearing this in one of the scenes and it's funny because some people said everybody else in the room is wearing a t-shirt and i'm wearing a hoodie it's like it's a Scottish cold winter california <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, didn't think that one through. It looked, dude. It, here's the thing, though. It looks so good because it's the scene where he's in school, right? Like yep. he, he's sitting at his desk, and it, dude, it stands out. My wife was like, "Hey, uh, the, he's she, she literally like." My wife just knows I like BMX stuff, right? She's not really into the whole BMX thing as much as as much as uh, as as she wants to think she is. Yeah. And she saw she saw that that hoodie, and she's like, "Hey, where can we get one of those for you uh, for Christmas?" And I'm like. Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll go look on the website, and I didn't see it yet. And I was like, "No, I was like, that's a throwback, babe. Like that's old school." Yeah, we made these probably five years ago. Yeah, and then as you guys know, we made the movie in 2016. So yeah, by 2016, we're pretty much sold out. And then what I would do is I would take two of every item. So so like if it was Ryan Nyquist as a stunt double and Shane Graham as the actor, they would have all the same clothing. And um, but that was it. That was that was the end of, of these hoodies until the film came out. Everyone was actually asking for this more than any other t-shirt they saw in the film. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I don't doubt it. It was great. Ali had um, one in the movie on too. What's that? Uh, how do you say his name? Ali or Ali? Ali? Ali yeah, he, yeah. He, he had one on the movie and actually John wore that out. Um, LA right out. Right. I did. And yeah. It was I, thought, sick. Oh, I, I had to dig it out from all my packing. I'm like, Oh, where is that? Cause it's been like four <laughs> years since I wore it. So yeah, perfect yeah. tonight. 
I got to tell you, John, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm excited about this. Uh, I, you're probably going to look at my hard ass, uh, shed a tear or two, uh, because that was one emotional movie, dude, that I was not ready for. Uh, you saved those as, tears, buddy. You saved dude, those for the, it, for the interview. It really, dude, it really, really <laughs> yeah. hit me. Uh, but and it's one of those things that even the second time, cause I watched it the first time with my wife. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, cause I, we're, we're just those parents. So like, I want to watch it with my wife, see what it's about. And then I'll let my kids watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we watched it the first night and, you know, I'm over there trying to fight, you know, fight, <clears throat> you know, doing that kind of thing. And then dude, second, the second time it was worse. Cause I knew it was coming. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to close the door real quick and then we'll get, uh, we'll get started. Yep. What happened to Mike Parenti? Oh my God, he broke four bones, five bones in his foot that night on the wheelie bike ride in LA. I saw, the, I saw the x-ray thing and then I was like, oh shit, I didn't know he broke his foot. That I mean, what, would he just wreck or, or did, what he happened? He came around the corner and slid out and then he's not used to big 29 inch bikes. He's, a, he's on a 20 inch. So when he slid out, he put his foot down and all there was five bones in his foot all broke. And he rode for another 10 miles and then and then walked into the tackle shop and got me a tackle because I was driving. <laughs> <laughs> Four broken bones in his foot. So I saw him, I saw him on Friday night, uh, Pete Augustine's uh, 57th birthday. So we yeah. were all out there, Volker, um, yeah, Perenni. It was it was a good night. Always always love and catch up with those four. I mean, uh, three, including me, four, but they all come up as well to the LA ride. They're they're pretty much my closest friends down here. So yeah. Mike, Mike is an absolute beast to ride yeah, ten clearly. miles with five broken bones in your foot. That's crazy. Mike's a beast. All right. So Craig, you ready to go? Uh, let me take a drink of water. I've got my Moscow mule. Of course oh, you do. Yeah, of yeah, course you, you do, do, buddy. Wouldn't have it any other way. I don't know if it's Friday or Monday. That's, that's what <laughs> that's we want to hear, dude. That's our plan. Yeah. What's up, everybody? It's your friend Isaac from Big Bike BMX, and we are super stoked uh, that you're here, and we're super stoked about this interview tonight because this is one that I say, I think, Craig, it's, it's been in, like, what, six months about? It feels like about six months in the making. Like, I didn't, the fact yeah, well, that we're able we're, to sit here and do this. Yeah, I think it was, like, May or so, right? Yeah, I think so. So, you guys... I'm going to get right into it because I can't normally I like to talk and kind of hype this up, but dude, I, I got to get in. I have so many things I want to ask our guest tonight. Um, Craig, why don't you introduce our guest? Cause cause you did it so well last time and uh, you just got done riding with him. Yeah, I did, man. And thank you, Isaac. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, man, this has been one that I was hoping we can do. And actually when we got the phone call to uh, be invited to, to uh, conduct this uh interview with our amazing guest tonight. I was super stoked, man. And I want all of you guys to get ready. Hope you got your drinks, your popcorn and everything set up because this is going to be one wild ride. Um, no pun intended, or maybe it was. Ladies and gentlemen of the Big Bike BMX show, please welcome our special guest tonight, a really incredible guy with a, such an incredible story that we want to talk about and go over with you. Uh, the brand manager from Haro Bikes, Mr. John Bolchins. John, welcome to the show, brother. So, how are you doing? I've got the Moscow Mule and I'm ready. Nice to see you boys again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, it's, no it's problem. Our pleasure. It's our pleasure, John. Um, so, so, John, last time, last time you were here, mm. uh, 
we had a great time talking about your history. We talked about, uh, you know, so much. And we talked about your book. We talked about the movie coming out. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, we were just like, man, I can't wait to see this. It's going to do happen in theaters. COVID then just continues to uh, to do what it's doing. Um, those of you who are watching this 10 years in the future, back in 2020, we had this thing called COVID that shut us all down. Uh, and there were so many things that were outside of our control as far as like, uh, you know, it's just as humans, as, as general citizens of the world, and especially the United States, movie theaters, uh, you can go to movie theaters. And so we were pretty much thinking like, there's no, we're, like, we're just not going to see this movie. And then lo and behold, uh, I think I'm on Facebook or Instagram and I start seeing posters and I start seeing, hey, it's it's going to be on Amazon. You're going to be able to watch this on Amazon. And I know, John, that wasn't the, the ideal plan. That wasn't the way you wanted it to happen, but it did get the movie out. And it did let, uh, I mean, dude, the reception to your movie, has it, like, is it mine? Did you have any idea it would have that kind of reception? Because that weekend, all I did on social media is see the ride from the most random sets of my friends were, were like, Isaac, have you, like, I got hit up so many times, like, Isaac, have you seen this movie? It's called The Ride. You <laughs> should check this out. And it was like, my work friends that aren't BMX, they, they have no idea about BMX, we're, we're like, dude, you got to see this movie. It's about bikes. You're going to like it. And I'm just sitting back like, I'll check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any yeah. idea? Did you have any idea the reception? Um, were you prepared for it emotionally? I mean, I'm sure you knew like that you knew the story, you knew how well it would be received as far as like the way that, that, that you anticipated it and with tests and stuff like that. But did you, were you mentally prepared for the way it was when it happened and you just got that flood? No, I mean, I knew it was an inspirational story because we all have a story and we had key factors in there, you know, domestic violence, racism, child abuse, um, but there's love, there's passion and, and there's bike riding, you know, so we really touched on so many things. Um, and I think that's why it does touch everyone in a completely different way. Um, but some of the messages, I mean, the first weekend I was up to, I think it was 2,300 messages and emails in 72 hours. I mean, in those 72 hours, I think I got eight hours sleep. Um, they've calmed down now. I'm up to about 3,800 messages. I've replied to every single one, I hope. Uh, <laughs> messages and tags and everything. I try and stay on top of it all. But some of them have just been, man, R-rated, like the worst shit you could possibly imagine happening to like, three, four-year-old little girls and like women reaching out to me about the abuse that they've suffered. I've had vets, Marines, police officers, like so many people have just reached out and said, you know, you got me. Like, like you were saying, Isaac, as well, like you were like, you weren't prepared for it. And you're like, shit, the toughest of the toughest men. I mean, I was out with a friend the other night. He did nine years in prison. And he was bawling in tears. He's just like, fuck you, you know, like, but he wanted to hug me. He was like, because by me sharing my story, I've managed to let go for a lot of people. And that's what makes it worthwhile. Um, I made zero dollars from this. 
I own 2% of nothing. So I own 2% of the movie, but COVID fucked us. So we had 650 cinemas booked in. That's gone. Um, I'll own 2% for the rest of my life. If we make a profit, great. But I feel like the richest man in the world right now because, yeah, I didn't expect this kind of impact. Yeah, I mean, John, that's got to be, you know, we... We had you on our show, like Isaac was saying, uh, back in May, and you were talking about this. And and we've seen, you know, things come from you where it's like, yeah, you were anticipating a um, a theater release, and here we are looking at, like Isaac said, you know, COVID changed so much, so much of of our daily business and how we do things. It's been closed doors, closed doors, closed doors. So. Um, knowing that, you know, this wasn't the way you intended, this wasn't the way you envisioned it, obviously. Um, but the fact that your story has come out on, um, Amazon prime, that the movie is out and, and just that point that you just made that, you know, there was going to be some financial gain, perhaps, um, if there was a theater release, but now that it's on Amazon prime, you're still proud of this. I mean, I know it's got to also gut wrench you as far as this wasn't the the intention of of what your envisions were um but the story's out and it's touching people and it's making an impact like like isaac mentioned in his life and mine and so many other people um that's that's just got to be also a, a good feeling for you hopefully and and others that were involved with the project that you know and we can talk about this later that it is having that impact and changing lives and there's value in that so i want to commend you for still you know basically seeing that hey this this has an impact this has worth it has value and that you're still stoked on the fact that those things are happening despite what covid's done to the movie despite what financial gains may or may not have been there you know and who knows where this can go so i commend you for that and thanks for saying that because there's so many people that and we could we're going to talk about soon that uh you know, have an impact on their life because of the movie, The Ride. Yeah, I mean, I do. I'm, I'm uh, very humbled by so many people reaching out. Um, it's just, it's got to me so much. And uh, <clears throat> I just, I said to my producer the other day, actually, I was like, this movie is going to have its own legs. You know, we, we lost all funding, but the love, the message, and the power of human strength is going to come out and uh, the message is going to get out there that, you know, we only have this one life, this one chance. We don't know about the afterlife. We don't know what's there. But be here, take a stand for one other human being. And as I said, I feel the richest man. Oh, absolutely. Um, One thing that I I did want to touch on, some of the business side of this real quick before we get into the emotional side of it, John. Um, currently right now, the movie is released on Amazon prime in the U S and we have folks from all over the world, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, you name it, asking us, um, will this be released in, in overseas or outside the U S? Um, is there a potential for that that you know of? And then if so, how does that get accomplished? Yeah. Uh, 100%. Look, um, we don't even have a distributor anymore. So, uh, the, well, the distributor in the U.S. is um, Roadside Attractions. Um, but each country has its own distribution. So the distributor has to, even though it's free, they still have to sell it to someone. Someone, If you're giving it away, you then have to pay for that advertising spot. We haven't got the money to pay 
to give it to the UK, to pay to give it to Australia. They're my two homes. I have a British passport and Australian passport. I'm dual nationality. So I want them in those countries. I want everyone to see it. I want my mom, my friends, my daughter in Australia, her friends. I want everyone to see this. The only way you're going to get to see this worldwide, stop emailing me and email amazonprime.co.uk, amazonprime.com.au. Email them. Email them and keep emailing them. Amazon Prime in your country, wherever you are, Brazil, Turkey, Germany, email Amazon Prime, push, 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 because that's the only way we're going to spread this message worldwide with your help. I can't do it on my own. Yeah, it's, and you guys, you know, there's, there's ways that you, <clears throat> I mean, there, there's ways that you can do it. I know, I know I've got some friends that did the VPN thing to see it, um, but man, it, it definitely, I mean, send an email share, share, you know, why this is important to you. Just, if you just send an email saying, I want to see this movie, make it happen. That's great. But if you, if you share a personal story, not a book, a paragraph of why you want to see this movie, that's, that's the kind of stuff that gets passed along and uh, use your social media as well. Um, You know, before, before this airs, I'll look up Amazon's Twitter uh, and their Facebook for the different UK and uh, for Australia, their Twitter uh, accounts for that, so that you we can just tweet them, let them know, like, hey, dude, this needs to happen there. Uh, social media has a strong, powerful, powerful uh, reach. So, um, so John, there's a couple of things that we did. First of all, uh, I, I too am one of those guys that hate you because I think I was crying. <laughs> my my hard ass head was crying. <laughs> I would say I think it was about three or four minutes in. Right. Uh, you know, it was, and I think you'll probably know the situation. You'll know the story, yeah. uh, or, 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 or the scene. Um, when I say, when I say, I promise I'll be a good boy. Yeah. That dude, that it hit me right in the emotions and like, dude, right, right then and there. Um, do you, and I, I have a couple questions for me and then we have questions from fans that have written us. So, uh, yeah. my, my question is. You know, what was it like? Because I, I, from what I understand, you were there the whole time they were filming yeah. as a consultant and just as, you know, what was it like for you to watch uh, kind of your life in 3D like that, where, where you're, 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 you're watching someone play you? And did you help coach those kids? Because uh, and and you guys, I'm not I'm not giving John. I have nothing to gain from telling John this is a great movie or like kissing his ass or anything like that. But you guys, I truly mean it. Like the the actors in this movie. Like if you if you if you don't if you think Ludacris is just a funny action guy, you are really doing yourself a disservice because he delivers probably one of the most powerful performances I've seen unexpectedly in a long long time. And then the the kids, okay, the whole cast is great, but those kids that 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 you that you whoever you know the casting director uh, did an amazing job, but those kids, um, amazing. At, at, I mean, I was I was in it that quick. You know, sometimes it takes you a while to get used to a character, uh, like a character's, uh, like a uh, an actor's beats and the way that they deliver a message, but. Um, I don't know if it was the scenery because that opening scene, dude, was harsh uh, with the bat. How much? 
How, what was it like watching that? And how much of that story is, is accurate? So first of all, huge shout out to young Alexander Davies. That's his name. Alexander uh, Davies. Plays, okay. I was seven in real life when I attacked my father. Um, Alexander in the movies, nine. So a couple of years difference here. Alexander Davies is adopted from Russia. That actor. Oh, wow. And his mom, his adoptive mother will watch this and she'll correct me. But um, I think his, his mother was a junkie and his dad had AIDS. Um, something crazy. So we're in the movie set, right? And the first, so when you're filming, you look at locations first and you film. So the first time I met Alexander Davies, goosebumps. <laughs> the first time I met Alexander Davies was him, the scene that he's going to stab me. That's the first time I meet this kid. So I speak to his mom. I don't meet him yet. The director wanted us to stay away from each other. They, my director, Alex, Alex wanted him to be shit scared of me, like to come in that room and see me with the white supremacist tattoo on me, the spider web, just an angry drunk. So I'm speaking to Alexander's mum, Joanne, and I'm like, how is he going to be with this? Like, this is brutal. I've, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to deal with hurting this kid. You're going to scare him. Yeah, that's what I was worried about. And she goes, oh, don't worry, John. He's already been a murderer in two other movies. I'm like, what? The? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? And then, um, so when once we met and stuff like that, um, we got coached. So we had, um, uh, including uh, Eddie Viola as a stunt coordinator. Shout out to Eddie. Um, but we had other stunt coordinators there, depending on what stunt. So like the throwing of Alexander, of young John. Um, he throws himself. I'm holding him like a little rag doll. My, my fingers are just touching him. And he throws himself across the room. So all that violent scene is him being funny, being joking around, but the way they film it. And one of my favorite scenes, which I love to put the twist on, and I don't want to spoil it for many people, but hopefully it's going to brighten your heart up a little bit. One of the roughest scenes that get me is when they're cutting the swastika into his neck. So Brian Craig, who's the lead skinhead, he plays Jack, and older me, Shane Graham, are actually holding Alexander Davies down and tickling like crazy. So his legs are going, ah! <laughs> so they're actually tickling him at that point when his legs are going absolutely mental, which I love to share that because it's the magic of camera. It's the magic of cinematography. You get the most brutal scene left in shock, but then you realize behind camera, you can only see his legs above him. You've got the lead actor, Shane Graham, and Brian Craig tickling him. So the, 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 the truth all the way through it all, um, yeah, I mean, I was the smallest kid, so I would always be breaking into places. But um, we, the, the baseball bat with the security guard, that never happened because, honestly, 99% of the time, we never got caught. So. <laughs> we were too good. We were too yeah. good for that. That sloppiness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, to... to to go back through the movie, John, you know, the, the opening credit obviously says inspired by a true story. So, um, you know, if anyone's read the book, they understand that you grew up. Um, they read the book, The Ride. Um, they understood that you grew up in, in Scotland. 
Yeah, um, I mean, that was it. Like, and again, and Isaac, you touched on it before. Yes, I was 100% there every single day of filming. I had first right of refusal of every single scene that was in that film. Um, <clears throat> we were going to film it in Scotland. It rains eight days out of seven. So <laughs> if you're raining five days out, yeah, we're filming for four weeks. We crammed all that into four weeks. So you, you pretty much wash away one week. I mean, it's a, it's a waste. How are you going to catch those days up? So to make it in America, it opens up to a global audience. So yes, it's inspired by my story, but there's kids out there that have gone through a lot worse. And I hope me sharing and making it into an American story shows that this happens everywhere. Um, we made it modern day. A lot of people are like, that didn't happen. That was in the 80s or that was this and that was that. Again, it was to make it more relatable today because these problems are still happening today. Right now, during this COVID crap, domestic violence up, child abuse up. I mean, as I just read a kid in Utah committed suicide at 14 years old because he couldn't go to school and be with his friends. And then I kept reading and then there was something like 36 kids in Utah have committed suicide this month. Like, they're not talking about that. Oh, we've got new stats. I went, sorry to bring this up, because the C word, COVID, that's worse than now the can't. I, I, I went to try and get a test, right? Because I was close to someone who had it. You can't click a box to say, I was close to someone with COVID. You have to have symptoms. You already have to be ill. So that's why all these results are coming. Oh, we've now got 86,000 people because they've got a cold. They're already ill. That's why they're getting these positive tests. You're not sending healthy people to get tests. And then it comes to, so I don't want to make this a, a COVID thing, but um, the, the problems with domestic violence, with human trafficking, all this is going on right now. Alcoholism, the worst place to be right now is isolation. If you've got a demon in your head, you got to be out on that bike or find something you're passionate about. Don't be stuck indoors with your the worst demons that you could possibly be with because that's what's putting these people over. That's a good it's point, difficult. John. Uh, when we difficult. talked back in May, one of the things that we brought up in your, uh, in your interview with us was the fact that we were talking about the movie coming out and, and the fact that, you know, this was something that we saw that society and, and around the world needed. We needed to hear the story. We needed to hear about um, the things that are going on and how to rise above that, how to come, how to make, you know, that there is, there is hope. There are ways to be so far down that you can get back up. You can dust yourself off. You will, you will, if you strive, if you have the heart, if you have the passion that you can thrive and, and overcome uh, which is definitely what your story for me is about. You know that even in the worst case terms or the, or the most bleak situations that you can rise above and then, and that there is hope. So I want to, you know, say thanks for doing that because we were talking about this six months ago when all this was relatively new, when all the numbers didn't mean as much, or we didn't know what to think of them. Um, we said we needed this movie. We needed something that was true and and could speak to everyone to uh uh to to send that type of message to you know what i'm saying like that had to happen and it's happened so yeah. um totally goes with what you were saying yeah john um 
<clears throat> and, and, and those of you watching, so Craig and I have about 600,000 questions for John. Um, At but, least. but what we did was uh, there's a Facebook group uh, that we stumbled up upon. Uh, and it is basically fans of the movie, the ride. Um, and so, you know, joined it and then I posted, Hey, uh, we're going to be interviewing John. What questions would you like us to ask? And we posted this, uh, on there. And then, uh, we've been talking about talking about, uh, interviewing John on our podcast, our audio podcast for big bike BMX, asking people to send us, uh, personal DMS. Um, and we will ask your question to John. So it's not just the Craig and Isaac show uh, asking all the things that we want to know. So we'll kind of go back and forth. Um, uh, I, I'm going to ask John, you have some questions here from uh, some of your Facebook fans that you you may or may not even know. Um, this one is from Tony. And I don't want to say people's last names. Uh, so I'm just going to say Tony, T-O-N-I. Yeah, um, from the- maybe give them, an uh, if they have a last name, just use their initials so they... I recognize it. Yeah. Tony R from Facebook. Uh, John, are you still in contact with your brother and did he do any jail time for his crimes? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still in contact with my brother. Um, and he did do time. Definitely. Uh, in real life, um, he, we didn't meet back up for a long time. It wasn't when I was 16. I mean, we sort of drifted back and forward and stuff like that, but, uh, yeah, with him and the crew and everything coming back into my life, that that didn't actually happen. So, um, but I talk to him once a week now. Um, you know, it's uh, he's he's struggling. He he is struggling. Um, he's got a lot of demons in his head, as I was saying to you before, and and he lives in an area which which is pretty much like like the white projects here. You know, it's an area that just high unemployment and things like that. So. Um, I mean, he's suffering from PTSD bad. And uh, yeah, I, every time I go home, I see him and we FaceTime once a week uh, just on the, the phone call, you know. But um, yeah, look, he's still there. He's still, he actually came to um, my movie screening I held last year in Scotland when I had 200 friends and family in the old warehouse. I told you it's never cinema. It's in the credits, actually. In the credits, you see yeah. you riding the bike back in the early 90s and late 80s. So that warehouse is now a cinema. So, um, yeah, he came out. He came up for that, which was, which was amazing, you know, because um, he drinks a lot and he doesn't drive much because, yeah, too much alcohol and driving doesn't, doesn't work. So, um, but he came that night and he drove home. It was about 70 miles. He drove there and 70 miles back home. So... Um, I still see him. He's just so proud of this film. Um, he's so proud of me, which which is crazy because he's my big brother. Um, but yeah, I mean, he and you know he does. He he's he's always thankful for my mum and dad, Marianne and Eldridge, for taking me on because uh, I wouldn't be here today. John, um, I want my son Drake wants to know. Um, his thing was he wants to know. Was there really a Sherry in your life? Was there a girl that captivated your heart in those younger uh, years when you were in high school or, or some, you know, some time of, of your life? Yep. Well, yes, there was. Uh, but so we changed some of the names in there. Okay. So my brother's name is actually Thomas, not Rory. 
again, just try to protect some people because it, it, it gets difficult. I'm okay to be hurt and attacked and everything else, but I don't want people knowing Sherry's real name is actually Sharon and Rory's real name is Thomas. So again, this is, I'm 10, 11, 12 years old, okay? So I was fostered at 10 and I met Sharon at the school and she was the gorgeous blonde and everything else. And, and so what I was doing was, when you saw one scene, I actually steal some of the money out of the out of my dad's, my new father's uh, in, inside pocket. But that just didn't happen once. I mean, I was I was taking 10, 20 pounds at least once a week. So, I mean, that's like taking 100 bucks out of a pocket today. Um, and I was doing that weekly. I was taking it to school. I was like, we were going down and playing Space Invaders and Atari, and, you know, because I was, I was the one with the money. Like, I was going, hey, boys, let's go. And, and so I was boasting around and I was even buying... Sharon, not Sherry, but Sharon, I was buying her gifts and like, it was just, it was great. But she was the one that actually told on me that I was stealing the money. So she reported me and my entire class, there was only actually seven guys. There was, I think, 16 girls and seven guys in my class. So kitchen. My guy. <laughs> we racial. My guy. So all the guys got into trouble because they were spending the money with me. We all got into trouble. That's fantastic. Yeah, so right. Sherry is Sharon. Uh, the next one, uh, this one, this one's going to be a twofer. Um, Shane W. wants to know, uh, when are you going to have beers again with him? Oh, man. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so is that is that Shane Watton? If, if we want to give his last name, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anytime. I mean, he's only in San Diego and stuff, and, right? and he actually has one of those um, – uh, what you call? Oh my God, he's going to kill me now. That that room that you go in and you have to pass codes and everything to get into the next room. The uh, like a, a like a safe room. It's a safe room. Is that what you call it, Shane? The safe room. Oh man, I've only been there once, but we had the night down there and stuff. And you're not allowed to drink in there, but obviously when you know the owner uh, and you get the cheat codes and everything. <laughs> so we're drinking like more than we're actually trying to get out of the safe room <laughs> into the next one. But yeah, mate, anytime. I mean. Let's drink. There you go. All right. So here's here's the actual, uh, the real one. Uh, this is from Chris Z, like Zed. Uh, what did John's parents think of the film, and would they have changed or included anything? Your parents, um, would they have changed or included, and what did they think of the movie? Um, both my parents absolutely love it. Um, in real life, like, so grow, I grew up in Scotland, and we grew up with completely the same racism but different as you do in America. So if you're Indian, you're Pakistani, and my dad is Sri Lankan. Sri Lanka is the off the coast of India. So if you've got darker skin, you're black. You know, it's a derogatory name. Um, derogatory, derogatory name. I have to get that word right. Um, so when I told my dad, I was like, Dad, you know, uh, Hollywood don't see you as black. And he goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, so they want, they want an African-American. Because it's an American story. And if you're Indian, you're Sri Lankan, you're, you're not black. So uh, he said, well, if you get Denzel Washington, I'll let, it, I'll let it fly. So we didn't get Denzel, but we didn't actually ask Denzel because Chris Bridges read the script and said, I want this role. So um, both my mom and dad absolutely love the film. Um, every time we, we talk, you know, they're always so proud of me for just inspiring other human beings and um, by sharing our story. I mean, my parents, 
yeah, what they put up with. I mean, you see one scene of me getting home with the police. That was happening three, four times a week for about six months. Um, and it wasn't, I didn't steal the wheels. I've never damaged a bicycle or someone else's bicycle pulling it apart. I have riding it, but not, I did not steal the wheels. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine, actually, Charlie Watson, reminded me of this, but I moved into from the east end of Glasgow to the west end of Glasgow. So you're going from Crenshaw to Beverly Hills, okay? Hopefully we can stay with me, okay? Yeah. Um, so when I moved into this new area, the local kids were getting bullied and beaten up and everything by these little try-hard thugs. So when I moved into the area, my friend Charlie Watson actually reminded me of this, who I've known since 1982. He knew me since I was John Craig, not John McCord. So I came into the area and I smashed them all up with a brick. So that was the first <laughs> time I got taken home. Smashed five of them in the face with a brick. And so our local kids never got bullied again. Dude, so that's like what when we were watching the movie, my, my stepson Jackson was like, wait a second. He left the classroom. Did he bring tools with him? How did he get all those back <laughs> wheels off already? And I was like, uh, yeah, man, that's Hollywood for you, brother. PG-13. Right, right. <laughs> Where's these tools? <laughs> That's great. Yeah, speaking of, John, like, for me, like, right out of the gate, um, watching the scenes where you're going in a juvenile hall. Yeah. Um, and like Isaac mentioned, the door shuts, you turn around, and it's, you know, tell her to take me back, take me back. Can you take us back to those moments? And, like, do you recall, like, your emotions, like, that feeling of being, like, institutionalized, Um in like a juvenile hall situation, like how was that for you at that age where you were so young and now, you know, your life has just gone from one pretty gnarly bad situation at home to now juvenile hall or some type of institution where you're pretty much locked down. Was that how it was for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, this was, this was the 24th of December, 1979. This was Christmas Eve. Um, mm. and it, it was, I mean, I just wanted to go home cause that's all I knew. I knew I was going to get treated like shit. I knew I was going to get beaten up. I didn't know my dad would have probably killed me that night if I did go home. I mean, my mom had me taken away to protect me. Um, so those scenes, I'm a hundred percent there. And Isaac, sorry, I didn't answer that before as well, but yeah, it's wrenching me. I mean, I don't see me there. I see this kid getting ripped apart just asking for his mummy to accept him. I mean, that's all I wanted. And it's crazy because that was shit. Well, I was seven, so that was 41 years ago that I was just screaming for my mum, just take me back. But I didn't want to be locked up. And she, she protected me. She actually saved my life that night. And little scenes like as I'm in juvenile hall, like young Alexander Davies, oh, my God. So He killed it. Well, he was, he's nine playing a seven-year-old, kind of. Um, but I'm teaching him. So I'm teaching him how to headbutt. So I'm like, you have to grab them by the ears and, and follow through with it, right? Because yeah. that's the best way to take someone out quickly because they're not expecting it. And so it's, it took a while to teach him. I mean, he almost got it. I think he almost got it. It looks semi-real. <laughs> well, he did it. He did a good job. Like when in the in the movie, when you meet your first cellmate, Jose. Yeah. And he gets off the bunk and he's like, "Hey, I got some rules." Yeah. And that's when Alexander was like, "Oh yeah, well here's mine." Yep. You know, and he like he really like. And Jose's like this, and Alexander's oh like this, so he probably yeah. headbutt him in the chin. 
Right. <laughs> you guys, it is so surreal to me because literally John Bolgens is the nicest human that I've met in the last, say, five, 10 years. Besides like, me. Besides Craig. <laughs> John is like the most kind and generous and just shirt off his back kind of, kind of guy. So it's so surreal for me to be sitting here listening to John talk about this inspiring mo- moment while giving proper headbutt advice. Like you, you have to right. hold and follow through Yeah, like this. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like, there's little moments when you're like, j- like don't owe John five bucks. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's people that I owe five bucks to, but I'm cool with it. Okay. Here's a UFC fighter, uh, Maurice Smith. Like I owe that dude five bucks and I won't let him pay me back just so I can say that, that like Mo, Mo owes me five bucks. UFC champion owes me five bucks. <laughs> John, I would not have, I would not want to owe John $5. No. And like, if he, I, and if he grabs your ears or you're either going to get a kiss or you're going to get headbutted. So if John yeah, either way, <laughs> grabs your ears, look out. You know and that's, what it, that's what it was called. It was called a Glasgow kiss. It was called the Glasgow kiss when you went in like that. But also speaking, this is, I'm going off on a wee tangent here, and I hope you don't mind, but I think you're going to love this because you both read the book. So um, $5 just got me thinking again. So 1977, my aunt and uncle owed their neighbor five pounds. It's $5, five pounds. So invited into the house to give him five pounds. My uncle smashed him over the head with a mallet and made my auntie chop up the body for five dollars. Wow. This is PG-13. We could not make this movie an R-rated movie. Um, this is just a glimpse of little things that happened in my life. But the $5 thing, you just brought it back. And it's like, Good Lord. I, I kind of can laugh at it because it doesn't feel real. But holy shit, you just brought it back because that's another thing. You can't, I was sexually molested at five years old. And then it continued when I was in juvenile hall. Like, but you can't put all that in there. People were picking, oh, that, oh, he's got a four-piece bar. Now he's got a two-piece bar. Yeah, I had a dick up my ass. Like, fucking hell, dude. Get over it. So anyway, sorry. No, and I can't emphasize to everyone out there who's listening, if uh, if you really want to get the, the you know, feel for what uh, went on in John's life, please go out and buy the, the book, The Ride. You can, you can find that on Amazon as well. Um, it just details so many of those things that you're saying, and it's so like page turner, but it's also like cringy too because like this stuff is real you know this is not a science fiction book this is this is a real thing that that you and live through and can tell today so and and great honestly this is why i wanted to do this part two with you guys because talking to you two now i feel like we're live this is real so i can be totally and it's like i mean this is an adult show kind of so like life is real shit yeah. happens but get over it because you're only being the demon to yourself absolutely i think one of the 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 the, the theme the theme that i took away i think the most and what i wish 15 14 15 16 year old isaac would have seen this movie is that the decisions that you make affect you but you know, you're, you're only, you're only locked in as far as the decisions that you continue to make. Yeah. So you could be heading down a path, but that path 
isn't set in stone. And you can, you know, here it's the power of love and acceptance, unconditional acceptance of, of who you are and what you've done. And, and that powerful story uh, that, you know, Eldridge was like, you know, you're not, you're not going to run me off, dude. You know what I mean? Like I, and, and it's so beautifully told uh, by, by, and I apologize. I, I don't know the, the, the names of the actresses or your mom's name, but Sasha um, Alexander. Sasha Alexander. So she, she says it so powerfully, like he chose you, like he picked you, like we could have picked, you know, the, the perfect Richie rich, uh, you know, perfect Stepford kid, but he chose you because of, of what you did. Um, whereas you, you would, you, you, it, the way it's portrayed in the movie, especially was like, you know, Hey, I've done things like you're looking at yourself. Like I'm, I'm, not only the things that have has been imposed on you, but you're judging yourself for for what you you know I, you know I I attempted murder my dad, you know, and it's like because of that, not in spite of it. Yeah, because of that is why he chose you, and how I wish as a kid I could have seen stuff like that because there's so many times, man, when you're you're just like, well, this is what's expected of me because of of the way uh, the decisions I've made and the friends that I've made. I can't leave that. Exactly. I mean, and, I'm looking at you both right now and you're real men and real men come from real boys and you would die for your mom. In a heartbeat. 100%. Right? 100%. So doesn't matter. Even if I was rejected and abandoned and everything else, that's the women that carried me and brought me into this world. There's always going to be that bond. You'll 100%. always protect her. 100%. Craig and I were both raised by single mothers. Right. Um, so, so like, that's like, if you see a common bond, that's what it is. It's just that like, you know, that, that I, you know, we both, we talk about it all the time. We, we saw the sacrifices that, that, you know, our, my mom made and, and Craig's mom made that we could have, you know, just like, you know, bologna and cheese. Like I didn't, you know, we had welfare <laughs> cheese when I was growing up. Like we joke about it now, like it's a badge of honor, like it's cool or something, but like, you know, having, having that brick of cheese when you were a kid was not cool. Nowadays you're like, oh man, I had the, you know, I had that welfare brick cheese. But man, when you were when you were 12, you definitely didn't want to see, you know, you didn't want to be the kid who was eating the cheese sandwich every day. Um, Craig, I'm sure you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about, you know. Dude, I was just gonna interject with shout out to our moms because yeah, like that is, you know, that the the person who How like, the fuck you do the love heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like Show that. Show them, John. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. There you go. But, um, um, but ahead, I mean, it's just such a power, it's such, such a powerful, uh, you know, story of, of change and, and the ability to do that, John. And we appreciate you. We appreciate you being here and just being so candid because yes, it's an adult show, but the other thing is it's, you know, I, I look at us like we're a family. Um, it's a family of, of people that, that grew up, um, our audience, you know, is typically, you know, bike bike fans and and they tend to be like our age your age craig's age maybe i'm the older one here because i i'm i'm an old guy but um they tend to be older and and you know we all kind of grew up experiencing the same things at the same time and so it's a family so you know we appreciate you just being honest like i i wouldn't i wouldn't want you to be any other any other way john so i yeah. i appreciate that i mean i shouldn't say this in the middle of our interview no, um, no, but but really, I, do like I appreciate the the candidness that you're answering these questions because, I mean, there's there's some hard questions that that we've got that people 
you know, want to know. Um, and that kind of leads me into my next one. Honestly, I'm looking forward to it. And, and so in real life, I would actually get a sugar sandwich. Okay. So it would be two pieces of bread with butter and then sugar, (laughs) a sugar sandwich. That's what we had. So did you both laugh that we had bologna and cheese on white bread? I'm just thinking right now that cheese sandwich doesn't sound too bad, dude. Isaac, come on, man. How would you like a a butter and sugar sandwich? I'm telling you, dude. You're loving that cheese right about now. Okay. Um, Also the scene, also the scene where Chris tells you, hey, I made you a a bologna sandwich. Um, My wife about died. Um, You know, I I cut the crust off for you and I threw some crackers in there too. On white bread with sauerkraut. (laughs) Yeah. And and the vanilla pudding. (laughs) Okay. So yeah. Who who wrote that line? Who who wrote that? Was that was that improv? Or was that written? That was in? Improv. Yeah, yeah. Because I wouldn't have a clue. I mean, um, my dad does have a good sense of humor, but uh, and I'll tell you, Chris Bridges added the the last part. So there was a bologna and cheese on white bread, you know, vanilla pudding, cut off the crust, and I threw in some crackers. And then when he shouts out, "That's my son!" Because they went to just drive away, but Chris is loving this role. Uh, so he's like, that's my son. Does anyone know where the parent-teacher conference is? Yeah, and everyone's that was perfect. Because ah, we're outside of school. So, and the school was in session at that point. So we're writing, we're, we're, we're filming outside school whilst they're in session. And so everyone, well, there's about 64 of us out behind the camera. And then there's everyone in front of the camera. So yeah, trying not to laugh. Chris just had fun playing my dad. And he actually said it was the best role he ever played. Dude, that was, that was so awesome. Like, how did you guys, so that was filmed up in um, Petaluma, uh, Napa area, right? Petaluma, I think. How yeah. did, how was that location chose? I don't mean to get away from, from the movie, but as far as like logistics, I'm kind yeah. of like in, interested in knowing like where, where did Petaluma come from as far as um, a location for the movie? Well, I'm going to give another plug. Uh, to American Wrestler. And American nice. Wrestler is about my producers. I have two producers. I have Ali Afshar and I have Red, Hadil Reda. And so Ali Afshar was actually um, Iranian and he moved here in the 80s. And then he had all the racial tension because, you know, the war was going on, the Gulf War and everything else. So he moved across here and that movie is based on his life, American Wrestler. And there's a new one coming out, a sequence, a sequel to that called American Fighter. That comes out in January. And that's got uh, Tommy Flanagan as well. Have you heard of Tommy Flanagan? I don't know if I have. Yeah. Tell, I us, have. tell us. No, tell us. Seriously. Sons of Anarchy. Chibs. Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's Chibs. <laughs> yeah, we know Tommy. Like I'm like, I know exactly who you're talking yeah, about. As soon yeah. as you did that. Right? Yeah. So that's Tommy Flanagan. And so uh, he, they were making the movie American Wrestler. And Ali, my producer, they're up in Petaluma because Ali lives there. So that's answering the question. Ali lives in Petaluma. Everything happened up there. So that's where he films all these movies. And you get away from the whole Hollywood, the SAG. Everyone's paid SAG. But if the SAG agency come in, oh, no, you need to pay $250,000 to close this street off. Oh, you need to pay $500,000 to use the car park in the school. Oh, you have everyone's paid by SAG on a SAG rate, but when they come in, your $10 million budget is now 30 million. 
So we filmed up there. But um, whilst the filming, Ali phones me on the phone. Yo, John. Uh, he said, no, he phones me up and goes, all right, you wee bastard. And I'm like, <laughs> Ali? And he goes, no, it's Tommy. I'm like, holy shit, Tommy Flanagan. Who the fuck do you think it was? And he goes, all right. And he goes on and on. He's like, ah, we used to be neighbors. Like, because he lived in the next suburb. Those scars, that's a Glasgow smile. That was created with cardboard cutters. They put them in and rip them. Two cutters rip your jaw, your jaw apart. That's what happens. That's the Glasgow smile. That's a real smile he was given when he was 16 from gang members. And that, that Tommy grew up where I grew up. So um, I'm going off on a tangent now, but it was Petaluma was because Ali Afshar is from there. And he knows everyone up there. So he gets through a few of the crooks and crannies to, um, to let us film in a school without paying, you know, half a million dollars to film at a school. So little things like that. Uh, yeah, no that's kidding. That's why we do it up there. All right. So, so John, this one is, uh, this is just a statement and then I'll have a question. Um, Chris S on Facebook. Uh, he wants to just thank you. Uh, the ride touched. He wants you to know that the ride touched someone's life more than you realized. Um, and just took enough time out of his day to, to write that down. Um, and it, it sounds like there's a lot more to that, but, um, and it was enough for me to reading. It was enough for me to, to copy that down and let you know that, um, Clint B like boy. Well, and, and I think you've kind of answered some of this, uh, but it could, this could stir up something, but what was something you had to compromise on uh, in the story of your life uh, to fit it in the condensed limitations of the film? And what was the most important element in the story that you would not compromise on for the film? Um, he says compromises isn't the best word, but it hopefully you know what we're saying. And I, I think we do. Um, yeah. So yeah, what was what was something that, that you had to had to you know be okay with altering, and something you were like, nope, that's in. So the one thing I had to alter was the actual timeline of me in Juvenile Hall. So it was seven to ten. In the movie, it's nine to sixteen. I came out at ten, and I was shit on a bike. I got that bike for the first time. I was ten. I no one had taught me how to ride a freaking bike. All right. In the movie, I'm 16. It's like, mother fuck, I look like a dick. <laughs> so, um, so I was saying, look, you know, how can I go from being a dick on a bike to then winning a contest? I said, that took me eight years to get that good, not eight months. And, you know, they were like, oh, but then it's going to add another 15 minutes into this, and it's going to be a two-hour movie, and... You've got 130 to 140 is a sweet sweet spot for any, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like focusing on a film. You go over two, two hours, yeah, people are like, yeah, picking up the phone, you're doing all this and that. So um, I had to compromise that part. Um, that they wanted me to come out of juvie and get my BMX. They didn't want me to play around for six years learning how to ride BMX and get on a ramp. Because I didn't get on a ramp until I was 16. Whereas, you know, in the movie, I came out of juvie and within a month I'm riding ramps. So it took me six years. So I negotiated on that. What I wouldn't let go was um, they had the word rape in the script. My dad attempted to rape a woman. 
And that's why he was locked up. And I said, no, you, that never happened. Oh, yeah, no, it never happened. It's just an accusation. No, you're not using the word rape. You're not doing it. So um, they basically said uh, assault, attempted assault. And I was like, look, I spoke to my dad and mom. And I said, look, this is, this is meant to bring you and I closer together. We had six years to get close together. You know, I saw my father's love more than having to be locked up together. It was nothing like that. My dad was never locked up. They just put that into the script to bring us closer together in such a short lifespan. Whereas realistically, it was six years of growth of him showing me love and affection, education, um, my home, food, everything. But because it was such a short lifespan, they were like, how can we bring them so close together? And that's what they did. So I spoke to my, my mom and dad and I said, look, I've told them. I said, no. I mean, Isaac, Craig, I had the script in front of me for almost six months. I wasn't signing it. I wasn't signing off on so much, but that was the key that said, no, you're not having that word in there. Even though it was a false accusation, I don't want that word in the movie. I think it's, it, it could lead the wrong way. Well, yeah. So, even so that, that entire story arc, that entire story arc then of like the, the attempted assault by your dad, that, that is absolutely just made up to help move the story along and help in the story of the ride you yep. connect with him. Got it. Sorry, Craig. Exactly. It was to bring us both together. Yeah. Got you. Got no, you. I was just going to say the same thing. I mean, I can understand for, for movie purposes or theatrics uh, or character building, bonding, whatever. Um, and, and we know basically in the movie, we see um, the relationship building between John and Eldridge, um, how that formulates and stuff. But what it, and there's some scenes towards the end that we get like some uh, quick snapshots of, what young John's experiences were with her, with his biological father. Okay. Yeah. You know, the scene where, where, where young John uh, Alexander Davis uh, comes up and he has to basically, uh, he grabs a kitchen knife and he, and he stabs his dad. Right. Yeah. And, and he's protecting his mom because mom's getting beat up by his dad and stuff. What it, we really don't get. And a lot of questions that I've seen, John are like, what happened to John's biological father? Um, yeah, he, he he did die. He actually died before my biological mother. So in the movie, my biological mother dies, uh, you know, whilst I'm in Juvie Hall. But my biological mom didn't die until 2015. So in the script, that's changed around. So my dad, my biological father, I can't even call him a dad, but my biological father, he died in 1997. He was locked up pretty much short after that. Um, you know, he was in pretty much... Uh, a mental home. I mean, it was like he was just losing his mind. Well, I remember, I mean, if I can remember from the book, John, I think I read that after you were removed from the home and went into um, the facility, um, I think you only saw your father one time after that, correct? Yep. My, yeah. my parents, my new parents took me to see him once, once. And I was so standoffish. I didn't want to go and see him. I hated the guy. But they were like, look, they were still tr my, my new parents, Marianne and Eldridge wanted me to still have a relationship with my biological family, with my brother, with my mom, with my dad. They still wanted that con connection, but I couldn't forgive my mom for having me locked up. And I was petrified of my dad. I mean, my dad threw me in a fire when I was three years old. My dad used to bounce me off walls. Like I would be climbing on the kitchen bench and he... 
knowing what put you into the, the detention facility, um, still wanting to make sure that you saw your um, biological parents is, is just such a contrast from the world uh, that you came from. And now uh, seeing life through two new parents um, that still wanted to include them. Um, well, Craig, I'll have, to, I'll have to butt in at this point because they didn't know. They didn't know. They didn't know until I was 30. Wow. They knew I was malnutritioned. They knew I came from a dysfunctional family. But they weren't told about being thrown in the fire, the beatings, the, the horrors, the molestation, nothing. My mom and dad didn't get told nothing. Did that come from you? Did, I mean, me. th- from I was you. 30, I was 30 years old and I had, I had this, it was like an epiphany. So I, was in, I lived in Australia for 18 years and I was in a place uh, driving to a place called Shepparton, which is north um of melbourne in the state of victoria and i'm driving up there so this is 2002 and i was a sales rep for hoffman bikes chris king all that stuff and i'm driving so when you're driving as a sales rep and especially country going country towns you've got a lot of thinking going on and i just said this woof come over me i'm 30 years old and it was like holy fuck i forgive my mom i forgive my biological mother i'd never called her mom in 23 years. Wow. And so I phoned my mum and dad back up, Marianne and Eldridge, uh, when I got back to Melbourne because cell phone calls and everything were still really expensive back then. There was no free internet calls. So I had to get back on the landline. And I called my mum and dad and I said, I need to come home. I need to forgive Margaret. Margaret, not Magdalene. Again, we changed a lot of names, but they were still there. And they were like, okay, okay. Well, uh, so they helped me because... Again, I'm a freaking sales rep. I think I was making like 28 grand a year. So um, I uh, basically got on a flight. It was still, it was three months in advance, you know, but I got on a flight, flew back to the UK, went and saw my mum and dad. And we were actually out at a restaurant again, as we always do, even when they proposed to be my new parents, that was in a restaurant. Although they didn't adopt me in the, the restaurant. It was just <laughs> the proposal. Um, so I went back in 2002 and spoke to my mom and dad and told them everything, told them everything. I mean, Marianne and Eldridge were in tears. They were just like, why didn't we know this? And I said, I'm glad you didn't because you would have treated me with kitten gloves. You would have treated me differently. I'm the man I am today because you treated me the way I am. Um, so I'm glad they didn't know. So I went back to, so my parents are in Dundee, which is north of Edinburgh in Scotland. And I went back to Glasgow to see my biological mum. And I said, I looked at her and I basically said, I forgive you. And she goes, what'd you forgive me for, son? And I said, thank you for loving me enough to let me go. I've had a wonderful life. And I said that to her face. Um, In the script, that wasn't even in there. During filming over the month, I told Shane Graham that. And Shane is telling my producer, my director, he's like, this has to be in the film. Like, thank you for loving me enough to let me go. And that was the final words in the movie. So I said that to my biological mom in real life. She died in 2015 and I didn't cry because I'd already made peace with her. And I will tell you, there's a sweet spot to this. So when he was locked up, the biological father, my mom got a divorce. She remarried this guy, Eddie, Eddie Baird. They were married for 20 years. She died in 2015. And he died five days after with a broken heart. Hmm. So she got, 
she found love eventually after all that pain. That's incredible. I mean, and just to backtrack a I, little I'm bit, I'm just gonna, I, I, that's I incredible. just need like two minutes now. I will be right. I, that, yeah. that's, a, that is a beautiful story, John. Thank you. That's the truth. That's how it went down. Yeah. <clears throat> and I can understand you and Isaac and, and myself with the emotions that are, that are tied into this because that closing scene, John, and, and the look on your face, man, um, it really said a lot. It really conveyed a, a, a lot of, of, uh, of, of emotion that maybe you were thinking about. I don't, I didn't see it as acting. I just saw this like very somber understanding man who, who was reflecting, um, maybe perhaps on his whole life throughout this, this filming of this movie. Um, you know, I can't imagine the emotions. And I was going to ask you later about, you know, how were you feeling through this, seeing these scenes replayed, seeing, even if they're skewed a little bit, even if they've been altered to uh, conform to some type of time constraint or budget, it had to bring up so much in you. Um, where were you at emotionally um, during the filming or as you are telling the producer and director or whoever about, you know, what actually happened and how this scene should go? It, it had to be so, um, so much of a gut check for you to try to um, relive those things, I would think. Um, yeah. Where were you at? I mean, how, how were you during this? Well, um, so I'm going to finish up. There's, there's two there. So the first one, the, the final scene when... I'm at the gravestone. First of all, that was only, that was filmed in 2018. The movie was filmed in 2016. So because we have E.T. in the film, so Mr. Steven Spielberg had to proof the movie. So he saw the movie. At the end of the movie, it comes up with a photograph. So it's Shane at the grave. Then it comes up with a photograph of me. And it says John Bolgens, he's ambassador for adoption in the United Kingdom, does all this work with foster care, um, brand manager for Harrow, everything else. Um, Steven Spielberg said, looked at the producer and director and says, I want the Saving Private Ryan ending. And they're like, what ending? <laughs> and he, <laughs> says, he said, I want the real John at the end. That was Spielberg. Wow. I want the real John. So I posted a photograph a couple, probably a week ago, and it was a photograph of myself with my producer and uh, sorry, with my director, Alex, and Ruben, the, um, my uh, cinematographer. Um, director of photography. So, and if you look down, I actually have a boot on because I just broke my foot. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> right? So the final scene in the movie, I'm sitting on a bucket and I'm trying to get up without holding my crutches. <laughs> so, John doing like one-legged squats for and, and trying to be serious, <laughs> yeah. like in that shot, like not right? look like you're straining. So I'm getting up and I'm straining because it's only been seven days since I broke, since I broke my navicular bone. And quoting Matt Hoffman, quoting Mr. Matt Hoffman, the navicular bone is one of the worst you can do. It's a tiny little fucker, but it took 12 months to heal. So I'm standing up at the grave, and behind the grave is my director. So it's touching on a bit of the, the question there, Craig. And he was saying, what was the emotion when your mum had you locked up? How did you feel? You know, you're rejected. You're abandoned. He's saying all this. So you see all those expressions in my face. I'm like fuck, I'm not good enough. I wasn't, you know, my mom didn't love me and all this and everything else. And then he turns it around and goes, and how was it when you were chosen? 
by Marianne and Eldridge. And you see my face sort of smiling and gleaming and everything else. I mean, that's amazing directing right there. He did that. Yeah. <laughs> the goosebumps. That's goosebumps for me, man. That's so Alex, Alex did that. And then Ruben, obviously, with his cinematography, absolutely amazing. Um, but all the way through it, um, it, it was surreal. And, and also, to answer both of your questions, it was surreal. But, and also, Isaac, I, when you said it was 3D, it's like real D. I mean, I don't know. Is that a thing? It's real D. It's like real right D. in front of me. I'm going, I'm there, but I'm here. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah. So I, every day I was crying for that kid, for that child, every single day. Um, the, the worst one for me was, was the dinner scene uh, at the restaurant. When, that was the worst? That was the hardest? That was the hardest. That was the hardest, but it was a, a release. Um, because yeah, my mom and dad proposed to me over dinner. We're having Chinese. I love Chinese. So we were having a Chinese meal at the restaurant. Write that, write that down, Craig. I just write that down. Dude, I got it. I got it. <laughs> we, got to, we got to take John for Chinese. Go ahead. And Sorry. Now Chinese. we know, uh, here we already know what he, what he likes to sip on. Now we're going to yeah. add the Chinese food in. Hey, yeah. hey, 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 hey. I haven't started on your gift yet. Oh, look at that. <laughs> I'm going to drink this one for you and for Buff because Buff wanted some. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, that that scene when my parents proposed to me for the first time, they actually said, you know, we want you as our legal son. You know, will you be our son? And, and then obviously we had to go to court to sign the papers. That I was, I was like behind the camera and I was just in tears. And... Alex, cut. Do you think we got it? Sasha Alexander plays Mariana. She looks over and she sees me and she goes, we got it. Nice. <laughs> she sees that I'm just fucking bawling. I'm like, wow, is that what it looked like from over here? Because that's me right there. And yeah, as you can imagine, it is. It's real D. I mean, your own life written out in front of you. So I felt sorry for that child that didn't feel sorry for me. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared. I like that scene. I was not prepared for. Um, I didn't expect to have the emotional reaction that I did to it. Yeah. Um, both those scenes you just described because um, I, you know, I, I caught myself doing the kind of the, the, the swallow a tear kind of a moment where you're like, <clears throat> pretend like you're coughing. Yeah. Um, so your kids don't realize you're crying. And then you're like, just let it go. dude. just cry in front of your kids? Why not? Um, but, but uh Definitely the the scene because I wasn't I, you know the the timing on the cinematography of that camera panning down to the grave and I was like oh and and obviously in my mind I'm telling myself a story like oh he never like he didn't get to talk to his mom or you know and having such a deep connection with my mom I was just like oh and then the pans up and I was like and for me like I know who you are and I was like. So I, I pop out of my, my, like, it, it was tears of joy, but it was still, I was like, that's John, you guys, that's John, you know? And I was so excited to tell my wife and my kids, like, that's really John. That's really the guy. <laughs> um, but my, my question about the difficulty and I, I was avoiding asking this question, but I think I would do a disservice to you if I didn't ask it. Um, playing your dad. Um, whose idea was that? 
uh, because I didn't see that coming until the trailer. Um, you, you left that part out of the first interview. Um, yeah. when we talked to you that, Oh, by the way, I play my dad. Um, so, so whose idea was it to play your dad? <laughs> Not your dad, your biological father. I apologize. Um, well, are you ready for this? Yeah. It was my suggestion. So my producer basically said, okay, it's your movie. Who do you want to be? And I said, I want to play my biological father. And him, Hadil, like everyone's like, no, 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 no. We're not doing this. Because they knew it was going to fuck me. And I said, I need to play him. I need to do this role. And so I had coaching. I had the most amazing woman around me to pull out that demon because I couldn't do it. Yeah, you can sort of see it when I grab the, the ears, the headbutt and everything. And it's still in me a little bit, but I'm full of love. And to play that guy, my director, Alex, he's just gone, action, cut, John, we don't believe you. Action, cut, John, we don't believe you. Action, cut, John, we don't believe you. I'm looking around, 64 people in the room, all looking at me fucking up. Everyone's getting paid. I'm just wasting money here. So I'm in my head. Sasha Alexander, Christine Moore. Christine Moore plays uh, my biological mother um, in the film. Um, so Christine has done her scenes. And then the camera comes on me. So Christine, Sasha, um, I had, a, oh man, it's been four years, an acting coach there as well. Um, I think it was Debbie, if she sees it, I, I hope it's Debbie. <laughs> um, they're all shouting, screaming, cursing, ripping me down. Like Christine Moore is shouting, screaming, like you useless fucking piece of shit, like making up, you know, ad-libbing. It's not getting recorded because the camera's on me now. So she can say whatever she wants to me and that's not getting recorded. They're looking for my facial expressions and looking for my temper and my snap. She's shouting at me so much. She's fucking spitting in my face. Like, like she wants the demon to come out. And so we do this scene, we do this scene, we do this scene, and we do this scene. We did, I don't know how many, but Alex shouts, cut. And I'm like, drained. I am so fucking drained. Like, there's no way of even describing how it was becoming a demon. Like, it felt like a demon. Um, and I looked over to Alex and said, did you get it? And he goes, yeah, we got about three good takes. And I'm like, motherfucker, you put me through that? <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. Times. Yeah. I'm like shaking. I'm like, fuck. Like, you have to, I mean, and also, motherfuckers, <laughs> Alexander Davies, so the knife he's stabbing me with, he, he kept, it's a retractable knife, but it's steel. So it still hurts. So I'm like, shit. So they were using masking gaffer tape and masking me up and masking me up. And I'm going to have to ask Alex, but I'm sure Alex, my director, was telling Alexander, okay, so the tape is here, so get him here. <laughs> Just it. And so when you, the camera's right underneath to get my facial expression, I'm fucking hurting. I'm like, ah, oh, you fucker! Like, <laughs> it looks like I'm hitting him. And, and that's that uh, absolutely just blown away 
with how they brought that day out because I don't remember it much. I don't remember much of that day. Um, I remember the, the, the stabbing, hurting. Um, I remember holding, holding Christine Moore. So I'm holding her head. It looks like I'm pulling her hair, but I'm not. My hand, again, like Alexander, my hand is just sitting, sitting on her head. And she's got her hand, so she's in full control. So when I'm hurting her, when I'm punching her in the face, again, I got taught, if you're going to punch, as we know, if you're going to punch, you have to follow through. Whereas with this, my punching was like this. My shoulder would never follow through. So no matter how many times I'm like punching, punching, I would never hurt her because my shoulder was never following through. So again, amazing coaching um, helped me bring out that demon. But uh, it was a it, uh, it was a blackout. I hardly remember that day. I just remember the final scene is me, which is a flashback almost at the beginning when Alexander's sitting in the police car and he's shouting, Mama, and I'm getting wheeled out on uh, the, um, what do you call that? I'm going to the ambulance. What do you call that? Gurney, gurney, yeah. Gurney, yeah. So, um, yeah, that that's that's the scene I actually started to relax. I'm like, okay, now the fuck, I'm out of here. <laughs> But it was, it was definitely, that was actually one of the hardest days of my life, playing that character. And they did take a lot of scenes out of that, that violence as well, because it was, it was going to be, a, it wouldn't be a PG-13. They had to take some of the scenes out. They were too brutal. It, it looked, I'm, okay, hearing that story is, is incredible, and I'm glad that they made you go through that. Because as someone that just watched the film, um, it it was pretty believable, dude. I'll be honest with you. Like as a couple, a couple things, there's a couple of things here. Um, as someone like, you know, if you've listened to the podcast, like, you know, I have a history of like MMA, have some friends that, that are famous MMA guys um, traveled with them. And so there's a scene, there's a, a specific scene where you, you have, you have, uh, I've, I've, again, I'm horrible with names. I apologize. But you have the woman down. Looks Christine like you have her head. Yep, Christine Moore. Christine Moore. And your arm is up cocked. And there's, when you watch, if you know how to fight, you know someone that, that knows the mechanics of throwing a punch. Like, bro, you're lined up. You know, it's it's not a, you know, it's not a haymaker like one of these. I yep. mean, you're, you're in line, dude. And I'm watching yep. your arm go down and I'm like, that's exactly how you, that's, that's how you throw, that's how you throw to hurt. You know what I mean? I'm just like, Holy cow. Look at John. Um, and it was such a, a weird juxtapose yep. of someone that knows you as a person in real life, a human to see you play a character that is such a, the polar opposite to who you are in, in actual day-to-day life. Thank God um, that, that this version of John exists not the version of john that was headed down that path it could have been um it, 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 one choice right um so just a powerful just a great performance like i'm glad you did that um i'm glad you chose to do that and didn't have someone come in and do that uh because it's it, it, it's just a it's the the exclamation point on that character it was like you know the the realism I don't think you could have cared. I don't for something so emotional. I don't think you could have cast uh, somebody to play that. And have, I'm getting emotional and have that same emotion come through. Yeah, you know, is is someone like that? I mean, I couldn't believe like um, 
how close I was getting to Christine's head. I mean, her hair was blowing, you know, with the, the fist coming down. Her hair was actually blowing, and I remember that. It was like, shit, but she trusted me 100%, trusted me. It was like, wow. And I have to tell you, have you ever seen a TV show called Marlon, Marlon Wayne's? Did you ever watch oh, that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Marlon? She's the high school teacher in Marlon. Oh, oh no now way. Now I get it. And, right. Yeah, and she's also, Christine Moore, If you remember, did any of you guys watch Friends? Yeah, of course. Oh, of course. I'm white. Right? I watched Friends. <laughs> okay. So um, it was when uh, Chandler had sleep apnea and Joey's complaining about it. Remember that episode with the sleep apnea and it has to go to the clinic and everything else. He picks up this chick, picks up this chick. It's Christine Moore. She's on one of the full mm. episodes of Friends. So uh, you have to watch it, the sleep apnea or the snoring episode, I think it was. But um, she's like, Chandler's lying in bed and Christine's lying in bed. And she's like, fuck, fuck, And he's like, and he falls out of his bed. That's Christine Moore. Oh, you have man. to see that. <laughs> Dang, John, that was pretty good on rehearsed, brother. That was a good. That was a good scene. Moscow <laughs> Hey, so I'm gonna change the the speed up here a little bit. So we've gone. You know, we've talked about the emotions of the film. We've talked about um, the realism uh, versus what maybe or maybe not have been so real as far as the timeline or your life's concerned. Let's talk about the bikes. We got to talk, talk about the bikes. Let's talk about some BMX. Um, I'm just going to let you kind of take this, but I want to know the, about the bike scenes. Yep. Well, first of all, I wanted my heroes in there. I wish I actually had all my heroes. I wish I could have had all my heroes. I mean, the only two that weren't there that I should have, would have, could have, would have been Dave Volker and Peter Gustin. I mean, two of my closest friends, like love those guys. My brothers, I mean, we're, we catch up. I mean, I was with them on Friday night. Um, but to have like Mike Dominguez, Brian Blyther, um, I mean, you've got Hoffman, Wilkerson, and Xavier's there as well. And Xavier only became a friend of mine from about 2005, 2006. Um, and then Rooftop, obviously, he's a great MC and everything else. He just totally fitted into that. So I wanted, I wanted to acknowledge my heroes and so many heroes of the eighties. Um, and it was funny. I remember getting a phone call from Matt Hoffman. We were actually filming. So rooftops coming up, Blyther, Dominguez, everyone's coming up. And my phone rings as it's Matt, it's Matt Hoffman. And he's like, John, is this real? I'm like, what? And he goes, <laughs> rooftop just told me they're making a movie about your life. And I'm like, Oh yeah. And he goes, yeah, but he just told me your story. Is, is this real? I'm like, yeah. And he's in tears on the phone. He's like, oh my God. He goes, yeah, I'd love to be a part of it. Like we had already asked Matt to be one of the judges. So we were going to pay for his flights and accommodation to come over from Oklahoma. Um, but when Rooftop explained the story, Matt's like, I'm in, I'm in. I just, I, I needed to call you first to make sure this is really real. So to have those guys in the film was absolutely brilliant. Um, and then I wanted the best riders of today, you know? So, you, yeah, you've got Chase Hogg, you've got Chris Fox, Larry Edgar, um, Dennis Anderson, Daniel Sandoval, um, Chad Curley, Jason Watts. Sadly, Jason doesn't ride for Harrow anymore, but still, I mean, the shit that kid does. Um, 
Tyler, Tyler Finengo. Like there's so, so, so many riders. I wanted as many as possible. But again, you're paying SAG rates, so you have to pay everyone flights, accommodation, and $650 a day. Um, and then we were talking about, well, you can't have Hollywood filming these angles because Hollywood will film, sorry to say, but like rad. We got, we got Christian. Don't be sorry to say that. Yeah, it's, it's, right. it's yeah. So we got, we got we Christian, Christian Regal, who is one of the best cinematographers in BMX. I mean, he, he works for Vans. He works for some of the biggest companies out there. So kudos to Christian because he made the legit scenes happen. Like you don't have to see um, the exact areas of what maybe a normal cinematographer would see, but Christian sees what BMX would see. And so we brought him in as the second AD in that uh, for the cinematography. And he got all those scenes. He got uh, so much. I mean, all the skate park scenes, that was Christian. Christian was on it. Um, Obviously Ruben was there, but he's looking at another if you're an artist, you're going to respect that artist. And Ruben was amazing all the way through this film as a director of photography. But bringing in an assistant DP like Christian Regal um, gave us those scenes and made it like a legit BMX movie again. Yeah, I got to go ahead, Isaac. No, do go. I was just going to say, like it, this the this. If if you remember John, you everyone that listens to this podcast knows exactly what I'm about to say. But we all had the same experience of going to a bike shop, um, and and throwing someone's mom's credit card down so that you could get like BMX greatest hits or Animal Chin, uh, you know, one of the great Powell <laughs> like that video. <laughs> but um, we all we all would go and and throw someone's mom's credit card down and and pick up the new VHS tape of whatever it was, um, and then you go back to someone's house. And you'd pile in, there'd be like 16 sweaty, gross dudes in someone's living room um, watching a video. And then afterwards, like we would call it like you would just get like the stoke. You would you, you were like, all right, now I'm going to go do boomerangs better than Scotty Freeman. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm going to go. I'm going to go do you know what I mean? Like they would pop up on screen. You'd be like, Martin, you just say their names like Eddie Wilkerson. Like you just say their names and you get stoked. And that's what I felt watching the BMX scenes in this movie. Um, it made me, as, as someone that rides, it it gave me that same adrenaline boost of yeah. like, you know, when someone landed a transition, I felt like I was landing that transition. I, I could feel it in my soul. And so the cinematography, if you would have done the rad, the rad cinematography, um, I think, it, you know, you would have been doing a disservice. Anyway, sorry, Craig, I, I went way long on that, but uh, Dude, Craig, you know what I'm talking about, right? I, I, I do I know what you're thing? talking about. Can go I ahead, say Jack. one thing Yeah, well. go ahead. Something you didn't see is behind the scenes that weren't paid to be there. Sorry. Hugo Gonzalez, Hugo Gonzalez, Oscar Gonzalez, uh, Cameron Birdwell, um, Joey Garcia, like all of NorCal was there in support of their brothers. Like NorCal was representing, and that's what I was blown away with. I'm like, holy fuck, I'm not, I'm not paying my heroes to be here. My heroes are here. Like, amazing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and even I'm, I'm going up on screen. I have a Nor, I, so I have a NorCal tattoo uh, right here on the back of my arm. Because I mean, Squirrel was there. Like, 
the guys that I want, I want to tell you just before I forget about this, because it's one of the best parts of that whole contest. So flew up all the guys, everything else. So boys, pick up at 6 a.m. These are BMXers. What the fuck? 6 a.m.? What the hell? <laughs> Only person ready was Mike Parenti. So Mike, Mike Parenti was a pro mid-school pro rider, right? And so anyway, Mike is like, dude, I'm, I'm honored to be here. But I mean, you know, this is Dennis Anderson. This is Chad Curley. Like, what am I going to do? This is the new school. I'm mid-school. And I says, Mike, just put on a show. So Mike does shows today. He's used to getting up at six. He's used to being at the school for seven to do shows, everything else. So he drops in, does the show, everything else. Most of the other guys are like, oh, oh I'm riding. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> so within the first four hours, my director of photography is like, um, if you ask me, Mike Perenni just won the contest. <laughs> it's like, he's not meant to win. It's like the best of the best is meant to win. It's like, well, they haven't woke up yet. So I love that. Like Mike, he was flip whipping the spine. He was like doing, no, not flip whipping the spine. He was whipping the spine, then flipping the spine. He was doing everything. I mean, Dennis Anderson flip whips the spine, but like doing all this crazy stuff. And everybody else was just like, what? I thought this was a jam. Are we, are we riding? I said, dude, it's a contest. Ride like it's a contest. Ride that you need to win that hundred grand. And so, yeah, so that was, I love that part of the whole contest scene, the whole filming. And I had to throw that in because, again, Mike Perrini, one of my closest friends, um, he certainly put on a show. And without Mike that day, I don't think the other guys would have stepped up. They would have just cruised around. <laughs> and you know what, John? Um, and definitely Mike Mike killed it. And, and thanks for that insight because we didn't get to see that part. But that one scene um, at the skate park where you were going to drop in and, and someone goes, no, 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 not not that side of the park. And it flashed. That's the OG section. And then you see Cab, Steve Cavallaro, look up, you know, and it's like, oh, that was Steve Cavallaro. Like he got his he got a moment in the film, too. Yeah. And speaking to NorCal, Steve's a NorCal boy, even though he resides in SoCal now. So that was pretty dope. I was glad to see that that made it into the movie. Did you who see else who was over there? Did you see who I, else was on that platform? Tell us, please. And it was actually funny. Ariel Osborne just posted the bully video the other day. The front cover of the bully video, Mike Kernich. Ah. He used to do the decade airs and everything. He was like the first guy to do decade airs over box jumps. Yeah, yeah. So Mike, Mike is on that that deck as well. So That's and awesome. Mike, Mike was uh, was a scout. So he was scouting locations for the filming. So he's not just a rider, but and it was the first time I met Mike. Like Ali went to school with Mike Kernight. My producer no went to school with Mike Kernight. So it was That's like awesome. all of BMX came together to make this the most amazing project that anyone could have could have wished for. So yeah, I, I mean, in there as well. And aside from the aside from the park scenes, the competition scenes, and whatever, there was the street riding uh, through through the school um, in the parking lots. Um, when my, you were, my kids, my kids have a question about this too. I'm going to bring yeah, it up okay. in a minute. Yeah, I, I would definitely love to hear this. And, and so, like, keep keep you, going, Craig. I'm going to grab it. Okay, go grab them. So when uh, in the scenes where um, uh, Shane Graham, you John, are evading um, this the. the uh, the guy's trying to get you, right? The scene, the wall ride, riding through the school, even when Shane does the 360 off the stairs. Yep. Um, 
who's who's coordinating that like um are did you get input in this are you going oh, like oh this is 100%. what i want to see or was it like eddie or just all you guys talking so at that point this is very early on so eddie wasn't on set yet at that point um the 360 down the stairs um i'm trying to think if that was ali's idea or alex but anyway um so 360 down the stairs Ryan Nyquist is supposed to be the stunt double for John, the entire film. So we've got it all set up, everything else. The bikes look exactly the same. And I'm like, all right, Ryan, 360 down the stairs. And he's like, I can't 360 <laughs> down the stairs. It's like, okay, well, oh, how are we going to do this? So Ryan can't 360 down the stairs. So we're like, all right, well, um, Chase, we'd already had up there to do a couple of the other scenes. So Chase Hawk... We had to get like um, almost like wrapping paper, like blue reflective sort of wrapping paper to go around all the tubes. So pretty much um, the art department and um, props and everything came in and made Chase's bike look like Ryan's. Because Chase is like, I can't ride with four piece bars and two brakes and all this. I can't do that. And I'm like, dude, you're Chase Hall. At that time, I think it was 2015. Oh, no, uh, maybe in 2014. He won X Games. I'm like, dude, you're an X Games gold medalist. You can't 360 down the stairs on someone else's bike. <laughs> so Chase had to do that. They're, they're riding down the wall. So that Chase scene, that was my idea. I was like, dude, nice. if, if no one's going to step up, I'm, I'm fucking stepping in. Like, I was going to ride down. I was going to do the wall ride down the stairs. Nice. And Chase is like, I can do that. That's no worries. So we managed to do the 360 and the wall ride down the stairs in the same day, but it started raining. So right. it started raining. So you're talking wet tires off the ground onto the wall without slipping off and landing without slipping out. We had six cameras on them, one take to do that wall ride. Wow. And so what did we do? We got these massive industrial blowers like heat heaters so it's raining and we're like drying the ground back and forward back and forth so you probably got like 12 inch like a foot space for chase to ride we're looking at the line to actually go up and onto the wall and off so he can land and it's a little bit wet down there but he can't hit that wall because it's smooth painted wall and slide right off out. and he would he'd probably break his leg like coming off of that and sliding out of the wall, you put your foot down and break it. So we, um, yeah, we ended up drying all that and everything. I mean, I remember Alex going, okay, so we've done the 360 over this set of stairs. The guy's going to be chasing the guy this step. So if you were going to be getting chased, John, what would you do? What would you do if you were blocked? And I said, I would ride that wall. And everyone's like, how, how, <laughs> you ramp? Like, how are you going to ride the wall? I said, we got guys, we, we can do it. And so I asked Chase and Chase is like, I can do it. So Chase Hawk did those two scenes. And the great thing is, guys, if you're not into BMX, you don't know you went from a four-piece bar to a two-piece bar. You went from brake levers to no brakes. Um, no one out of the, I think it's over 559 positive reviews on Amazon Prime, not one person has mentioned the bars. It's like, dude, seriously, look at the story. <laughs> don't worry about the bars because, yeah, Ryan Nyquist can 720 over anything, but he can't 360 down a set of stairs, and he'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'll, I'll be honest. Like I'm, I'm a grown-ass man. I didn't notice the bar change at all. I, I was, 
but I was in the moment, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I was my adrenaline level because you got to understand, like, if you're watching the movie, your adrenaline level goes from, I mean, the, the anxiety that kicks in when that woman's like, when you see her turn her head, when you kick, when I say you, when, when, <laughs> when John kicks the rims and you're like, oh no. And, and, and you know, you're watching and you're like, they don't notice. And you're like, that's cool. And then you see, you just, she, the woman that plays that character just does a good job. Cause you just kind of see her like, <laughs> what's up? You know what I mean? And then, so, so the anxiety kicks in and then you're like, you're, you know, again, you carrying the bike out. And then, you know, you get outside and you're like, uh, somebody's stealing your bike. And then it's just like, it's on. And you're like, oh man. And then it's, at that point, you're just like, go, John, go, 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 go. Yep. Did you do any, did you do any of that riding? Were you, did you, did they, did they let you touch a bike on this, on the shoot, on the, the set at all? No, I wasn't covered for it. So they didn't want me doing anything in case I hurt myself. They wanted me there for the whole time. And right. again, that was a great scene. Like stealing the bike, I got one of the best photos where pretty much the skinheads, all their feet are off the ground as they're running. Um, so basically... In the wet, in the wet, in, the in combat rain. boots. They were, yeah, I've seen that photo. Yeah, they were in the rain. So again, Chase Chase did that scene. So he's using the, um, the Nyquist bike because he doesn't need to do anything. He's just riding straight. So he's using the Nyquist bike at that point. Um, before I forget as well, the, when Chase did do the wall ride, you'll, if you look, he's got two levers on. And my, my director goes, oh, don't worry, we'll pick up, we'll pick up the rest on CGI. They were going to do CGI, but it's almost a million bucks to put brake cables in and put all the other parts on there. It was like, nah, fuck it. So um, <laughs> that scene when he steals the bike, yeah, he's coming down and he's riding around. So as he's riding around, that's Chase. But when the camera's at the front, it turns to Shane playing me. And I'm at the bottom of the hill when it's Shane to catch him because he's not a rider. Chase can slide out of there. And even in the wet, he would still have control. But Shane is an actor. He's like, he's trying not to look worried as he's riding towards me in the rain because he can't (laughs) stop. I love that. Okay. So we, we had, this is my son, Aiden. Um, he, Aiden. when he, he found out, uh, and, and he found out that, uh, we were going to do an interview and I was like, what questions do you have for John? Um, and then, so he wanted to know about the 360. Uh, but then he, just now he comes up, he goes, I have a different question. So I, I don't know what it is, but, but be prepared. So I'm going to give him the headset and he can ask his question. All right. So do you recognize John? Yeah. Do you hey, recognize, Aiden. Okay. So hey, that's, Aiden, how are you? Uh, who played you got to come over here to the microphone so that's not that's you think that's john's dad because that's where you've seen his face before but yeah but he was just playing that character that is actually john from the movie as a grown man so what come over here to the mic and and jump on in and you can ask him whatever you want to ask him okay so you gotta get by the mic there you go just talk right into here put your mouth right there there you go did you do the 360 the first time? Well, that wasn't me. That was actually in real life, you mean? Yeah. Um, I didn't. No, I actually did a 180 down the stairs in real life. I didn't do the 360 down the stairs for many years later. So that money that I won, I was a bad man and I was a bad boy, but I actually stole the money from my new foster father. I didn't okay. actually win the money. I only did it to show off. I did the 180 down the stairs to show off to the girls. 
But in the movie, I did a 360 and won 200 bucks. In real life, I was stealing that money from my new father. So, yeah. And so I bought, I bought the birds. Yeah. Aiden, you remember the birds? The two birds? Yeah. I actually bought that from my mom and dad in real life. But I bought the two birds um, with the money I was stealing from them because I started to feel guilty. So I bought them a gift from their money. Okay. <laughs> Aiden, I got to give it to you, but you were, you're doing That was a fantastic question. And I think you're doing a great uh you're doing a you're doing a great job for your first time on the mic and the camera here bud so i want to hear do you have another I, your questions are so good do you got another one for john this would be awesome oh yeah um in the movie john was good at drawing are you that good yeah that was that was my passion aiden um art was my passion art was my outlet art was my meditation um, and I haven't drawn in 32 years. And so last Tuesday night, only six days ago, you know, skateboarder, Steve Caballero, you know, the name. Yeah. Yep. So I was at Steve Caballero's house, uh, six days ago. Um, because a lot of people like yourself have been asking me, you know, was that that good? And did I draw? I actually forgot. I drew Ulysses and the Cyclops. I forgot about that. When our script writers were doing more research, I told them to speak to my mum and dad, to speak to Marianne and Eldridge. So they phoned my mum and dad, and my dad actually told my script writer the first drawing I ever did. And that's why that's in the film. So I haven't drawn since I was 16 and now I'm 48. But six days ago, I went to Steve Caballero's house for some inspiration, and I'm looking... I'm looking at getting back into some art because I don't ride as much as I should or I wish I could. So I was, that was the only thing I passed at school, Aiden. I passed art. I failed every other subject, maths, arithmetic, physics, English. I mean, me, I can't even talk English. Oh, come on. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> so art was the only class I passed. And yeah, um, I'm inspired to try and not to try. There's no try. Do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good, John. Thank you. you know, last question. What was the question you had when you were walking upstairs? Oh, yeah. And the last question is um, the John in the movie um, knew a lot about Greek mythology. Um, do you know that much in real life? Through my father, yes. I didn't know it at such an early age. So I only knew it um, with my father. My father was actually a biological scientist in real life, not an engineer. And just to let you know that how amazing my father is, my father res retired at 65 years old, 65, went back to university and studied Egyptology. So now wow. he has a master's in Egyptology. He can write hieroglyphics. Wow. So he was the one that taught me all that. I didn't know it at an early age. So, yeah, you see me reading at the beginning. I couldn't read until I was 10 years old. I actually started to read. I probably couldn't read properly until I was like 12. So, um, yeah, that that was a bit more fiction than nonfiction. I'm glad you're here. You're, you're still into art, John, because you just recently posted a photo of you. Um, the backdrop was Pink Floyd's The Wall. And where I connected to this was, one, I love Pink Floyd and I love The Wall. But... 
you know how you said you would have your, you know, your buddies would come over and they would sign the wall. And, yeah. and I did the same thing. I had a poster in my room. If you came in, my, you know, if we hung out in my room, whatever, you came over to the house, I'd have you sign the poster. And then pretty soon I got all these signatures and stuff of all my bros on the wall or on the poster. And I was like, oh, dude, someone else did it too. John's got the dang Pink Floyd wall, you know? Yeah. So I like that tie into art. And then I love seeing you at, at Steve's house, Steve Cavallero's house the other day, because um, he does that weekly art um, session with his buddies and stuff. Yeah. So, just, so to see you sitting at the table with Big Mike and yeah. uh, Steve, man, that, that kind of that was really cool for me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I'm like, you know, I need to get back into it. I need to be focused again and and find that inspiration. And, and Steve certainly brought that out. I mean, I've actually got a piece. Oh, check this out whilst we're here. Yeah, we got to see that, man. Aiden, what a good job, brother. Those were excellent questions. Okay, start talking. Start talking, John. So Steve Caballero gave me that a couple of years ago. Look at that Boba Fett picture, dude. I know. Yeah. And he's on like a, it's like Slave One, but it's actually um, the Carbonite. It's actually Han Solo and Carbonite he's racing. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Definitely. So that's my friend, Steve Caballero. So All right, I'm taking that console cool. one. Got it. So, John, um, I got hold on. I got to kick him out. I got to. <laughs> yeah, go I got I saw Boba Fett and I'm like, dude, okay, go, go do homework. So, I'm <laughs> do homework. John, I sent um, you a, a text the other day with two hey, uh, paintings I did. Did you get a chance to look at those? Do you think I may have a, a, a future spot at the Steve Caballero table? Fucking uh, nice. When you're down, come on, let's go. Tuesday nights. I'll take you over to Steve's. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to sit cool. down and draw with you guys. Heck yeah. All right, cool. Just yeah, want to no. clarify. I just needed to clarify that. <laughs> so sick. Thanks for talking to him, dude. He was so he was so intimidated to like. He's like, "Do you think he'll answer some questions?" I was like, "Yeah, dude, he'll answer a question." <laughs> and then uh, he, it was so funny because he's like, "I want to ask him about the 360." All day he was like, "I'm going to ask him about the 360." Like, did you really do like? Can he really do that? And did you do it the first time? And yeah. then I come up. I goes, "Do you remember your question?" He goes, "Yeah, I've changed my mind." He goes, "I want to ask." He's really into Greek mythology. Like that's his jam, wow. dude. He's really into it. And wow. so he goes, he goes, I'm going to ask him if he really was into Greek mythology. And I was like, do it. Do yep. it. <laughs> and I mean, that's it. I mean, my dad, like I, he taught me so much and opened up my mind to shit. I would never even have thought of. So that's amazing. That's amazing. He's into Greek mythology. Yeah. It thir- like he just turned 13, just turned 13. So shit. bro, he's taller than I am. I was about 14 when yeah. my dad tried to teach me a lot of that stuff. He's into it, dude. And he's so tall and he takes my shoes all the time. Like it's crazy. Anyway, this has nothing to do with our John Bulgin. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm coming back. Like I just missed a whole big chunk of like important information. So Craig, you oh, go you and then all, dude. I'll have, I'll have something to, to come up yep. to, to come back with. I'm And I will, I'm going to cut this part out. But we were talking about NorCal. Not only do I have one NorCal tattoo. Yeah, don't forget about your. Uh... I I have. Wait, it's on this. I think it's on this side. Can you see? <laughs> like, Craig, you don't even know that I have neck tattoos. Right? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. Okay. You have a NorCal tattoo on your neck and your elbow, bro. Right. I have a Nor. Okay, so John, this is the funny thing. I have a Nor. I have NorCal tattooed on my neck, and my daughter looks at it and she goes, "Hey, Dad, how come you have not cats tattooed on your neck? Watch this. Watch. Not cats. Talk, Isaac. Talk." Talk, 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 talk. I'm talking, 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 talking. I don't know if you can see it, but like right here, 
Somewhere along in here, I have a neck tattoo <laughs> that says NorCal. It's not picking you up yet. There you no. go. Okay. Tech, talking, talking, talking. Yeah. Okay. Talk, 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 talk. Somewhere along here, I have a tattoo that says NorCal, but it looks like it literally, if you read, I'll take a picture and text it to you, but it looks like my daughter's like, dad, how come you have not cats tattooed on your neck? And there's, that is the most like, there's no cool way to answer that question when you're like trying to be a tough guy. You know what I mean? You're like, uh, what's this saying in your neck? Not cats. <laughs> well, I was in the play cats. Yes. Just yeah. in the play cats. So that's, <laughs> okay, back that's, on track. Back on okay, track. listen. So speaking of John, one of the questions that my family has asked me, it actually came up when we were hanging out a couple weekends ago at, at Mike Buff's house because our field correspondent cat who was there wanted to know. And I think she asked you, but the scene uh, and in real life where they're holding you down and they, they cut the uh, swastika into your neck. People want to know one, was that real? Two, is it still there and go? I mean, what was the deal with that? So basically, yes, it was real. Um, But we did it with Indian ink. So it's actually, I've still got a little bit left. It's so hard. I don't know if you can even see it, but it's in my ear. There's a little bit left. So I had a lot of it taken out with laser, but there's a little little bit left of the swastika tattoo. And it was my, was that an inauguration? What's it when you become a, like a... a Initiation. 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 <laughs> um, into, into the crew. So <laughs> what are you laughing at? Because <laughs> they didn't get to see that part. I'm, I, we need to do a second take now. What? The one when I go, oh, shit. There it is. Uh, yeah, because it wasn't recording. So, um, yeah, it was It was all part of it. I mean, you know, when we were kids, we would actually set each other on fire as a, okay. as a, as a game. We would pour, like, petrol all over each other and see who could last the longest before putting it out. So you'd pour petrol all over each other. Uh, my childhood tattoo, my first tattoo is probably five years old. We used to get matches, like a matchstick with a red head. And did you ever do that? <laughs> Maybe it was just me. <laughs> we used to burn. So sorry, we, used to burn we used to burn our skin off. So you would, like this, and you would keep doing it. And pretty much, um, I mean, what's on the head? I mean, it's like gunpowder, really, isn't it? It's like, like sulfur and... Right. Yeah, it's flint, yeah. If you rub that really fast on your skin, your skin burns off. So we used to put a rope, like, uh, I love this. It's in my book, but the first girl that actually French kissed me, I was five years old and she was 13, Yvonne. Um, I, I, I didn't know how to spell Yvonne. I put an E before a Y. <laughs> <laughs> I was five. E-V-O-N. E-V-O-N. So I did. <laughs> I burnt, I burnt my skin off. And then what it does is it leaves a tattoo scab down your arm. Then once the scab comes off, it leaves that white mark like an old scab. And that's how we used to do childhood tattoos. We used to use a match. But then the crew that I actually started to hang out with when I was younger, my brother was already locked up at that point. Um, we were hanging out and, yeah, we were getting tattoos. And I was getting a swastika in my ear. Because we were just a bunch of racist little kids that didn't know any better. You know, Glasgow just does it really differently. Um, 
you know, like I can't tell you that I ever like caught myself on fire as a kid or like gave ourselves tattoos at, at that age. Like all I've learned from this interview is like, do not even look twice at someone that's like from Glasgow. Like <laughs> y'all are nuts, dude. Oh my God, dude. It's for real. Like we did, we did the eraser, like where you take an eraser and you erase it on your skin. But yep. no one had no one had the stones to keep going. Like once it hurt, it was like, "Ow, okay, we're done. Like we're good at that." <laughs> and point, and here I mean? John is with a match and 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 petrol on his arms, going at erasers my ass. You know, he's <laughs> yeah. He, they go hard. They go so hard in Scotland. Good God, John. Oh man, I mean, <laughs> seriously, it was just a way though. But we had nothing to live for. There was nothing. We were in. It was seriously the projects. We had nothing to live for. So there was nothing to be scared of. Like, yeah, I would jump on a train and go into the city center when I was five years old to beg. I would go in there and just beg. And then I would go into the toilet. So back then they would have like a little paper cup, but the paper, paper cups were like triangular. You know, they were little triangular cones. And I would use them as begging cups. So we'd go into, so we'd get a free train into town because this is the 70s, so there weren't really many conductors, especially at night. A five-year-old on the train at 10 o'clock at night is unheard of. You wouldn't, shit, you wouldn't let your kid go on the train at 15, at 10-year-old. So, I don't let my kids I don't let my kids walk to AMPM. And they're 13 <laughs> and they're six feet tall. Yes. <laughs> but it was it was just it, it was that time. It was the 70s, and we had no stress, no worries, and Anyone fucked with us, we'd smash it with a bottle. So it, it was just that. And because it didn't hurt me, I didn't feel your pain. I didn't know what it was like. So we would just we would just cause havoc. We didn't know, and I wasn't educated to be any better to respect other human beings. That's incredible, John. Well, John, we're at two hours. Um, and if I've learned anything from talking to John Bulgens is that um, without any type of, of like, uh, uh, you know, me doing this, I will talk to you until one in the morning and listen to your stories all day long. And uh, dude, we haven't even touched on like a third of the things I want to ask about, like your swatch collection. Did you get the brake lever we were talking about on eBay? Like, there's so many questions. I'm going to ask you like quick rapid fire, a couple of things I want to know, because I know that people are going to want to ask this stuff. Um, so I'm gonna ask you some rapid fire stuff, Craig. You get yours right because, like, I want to make sure we we carry this, but also let's do it. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking of like John Bulgens is telling me like an hour and twenty to thirty minutes is a sweet spot for people's butts to listen to something. And we're already two hours. Okay, did you like? How's the Swatch Watch collection going? <clears throat> All right, so I'm taking the laptop. Okay, I don't have a phone, so I'm on the laptop. So um, in the kitchen, we have. I'm, it's getting there. Look, dude. How, who else has Swatch watches in their drawer in the kitchen? No kidding. Nobody. Okay, John, John, <laughs> John, I need you to talk because Craig and I are going to ruin it by talking through this. So you keep talking oh, and show that shit. Swatch collection. All right. So who has your Swatch watches in the kitchen? Well, I do. So these, oh, sorry about the steady cam, but these are my originals. And then I'm starting to get, and this is one of my originals as well. I'm trying to get this one. I think it's called a Neo something, but um, see, it's all broken. So my plan is to have all the ones I had and all the ones I didn't have. And Craig, although you're not going to talk because you're going to take the camera off you, but this was actually on the picture 
of me in front of the wall. So I'm wearing that one, but I lost it. That was 1200 bucks. That's the X-rated Swatch watch from 1988. 1200 bucks for a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I don't know why these are in there. I meant to stick them on a bike somewhere, but look, that was the old 88 King of Kong, um, King of Vert, Vision Streetwear. Um, so yeah, there's the swatches. And it's still got a couple of original swatch stickers that I found. Oh, look at this. So <laughs> that was obviously for when you went skiing. The zinc or whatever you called it. I don't know what you call that, but you used to put it on your, your face to stop you burning when people in the 80s used to have pink, neon pink and neon green. Oh. Um, and i still got a couple of the, the little guards or whatever. But yeah, I'm trying to finish that collection off. I'm getting there. I'm getting can there. You, can um, you imagine going to John's house and being like, I'm going to get a bowl of cereal. And you're in the kitchen and you open up the drawer and there's all the swatch watches. I mean, yeah. in, the, oh. in the last house, I did have my, my ghetto blaster. And so there it is there. It's up the top. There it is. Did, did, you, ever, did you ever get did it you running? Mixtape? I still didn't. I've got it, but I just haven't spent the time. Oh, look, there's no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. Man, that's Just awesome. a friendly reminder every morning when I'm making coffee. Happiness is the way, right? Um, I'm sending you some to- batteries. I'm sending you some, some like, the 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 D-sized batteries for that. I'm going to send you a pack of D's and C's just so we can see, like, if I want to make sure that 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 deck still plays. That's all. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what size the batteries were. They were pretty thick. The big six, six of those big fat fuckers. Craig and I are going to go <laughs> all in on that, and we're going to send you a pack of batteries just so we can listen to that. I think we should do a whole episode of what's on the mixtape. Yeah, oh, like, shit. You know? Um, so something else that really means a lot to me. This is crazy, but that was a painting my dad gave me of all my favorite pubs. Wow. Can you see that? <laughs> that and right cool. in the middle, that one, that's the DCA, which is Dundee Contemporary Arts, but that's the old factory we used to break into. Obviously, the front looks so much nicer than it used to. But yeah, that was the, the pubs. Every, every bottom building here is pubs. That had and to be people, one People wild, live above the pubs. That had to be a wild stretch of street right there for you, John. We could do another episode <laughs> on that, too. <laughs> oh, my God. And I know you want to see the movie bike, don't you? You know it. I was going right, to ask. So we're going to go downstairs. So going to pass the, the beautiful Harrow skateboard decks. So these are all NOS. These are the skate, the original skateboard decks from 1986. So every day I come home and that's what I, that's what I look at. Oh, can you see it? There it is. Is that all right? Oh yeah. And then this is this is the pool room. Keep talking, John. So okay. So I'm going across to the movie bike. So this is a hundred percent. Um, Ryan Nyquist, because this was Ryan's bike, Ryan Nyquist actually got both bikes from the movie because this is what he was riding at the time. Sadly, Ryan being a fat fuck, he broke both bikes. (laughs) So as far as I know, this is the only 100% (laughs) replica of the movie bike. This is everything. This is the Nyquist Nyquist frame. It has the demolition brakes when... uh, Shane Sean Eldridge, how to take the brakes apart. It's got the demolition brakes. Thank you, Brian Castillo. He helped me get that. Um, the boys at Odyssey sent me the Odyssey levers. Right? Can you see that? Troy Dunsmore 
So these are the, uh, the animal Edwin Delaroso grips. So those grips you can't get with flange anymore. So Troy Dunsmore actually gave me his grips off his bike. So they were hardly even used. And he goes, dude, I know what you're doing with this. So got the grips. So the animal grips. Darcy. So who invented the pivotal. So Darcy invented the pivotal. But this is the fat. This is like... Oh, man, I can't even remember the name of it. It's Imperial, I think, maybe. But this is the fattest Pivotal that they actually make, and they don't make it anymore. So he took that off his wife's bike and gave me it. Nice. To finish the bike off. So this is 100% the movie bike, which is, uh, yeah, that means a lot to me because uh, it took me four years to build this. I bought the frame. Yes, I do not get free bikes at Harrow. So I bought that frame and fork about four years ago and then started putting it all together. And only last month, maybe six weeks ago, Brian Castillo called me up and said, yep, I got the brakes back in. So I just got the demolition brakes on it. But it's even got the Nyquist bars that just came out. So if you can see on there, it's the Nyquist bars. And I had to buy them from Germany because they're 8.5. So to finish this bike off, the bars were actually in Germany. So I had to buy them from Germany and have them shipped over here. So we had nothing left. But uh, oh, can I just give a, a, shoot, a shout out to Bumpbox? They actually sent me that after we did the interview last time. So they saw my, my uh, boombox was all jacked. So they sent me that, thanks to you two. Nice. So there you go. Oh, can I show you that one as well? That's a lovely, pretty picture down in Lucadia. I still need to hang some of this stuff up. The Enchanted Ramp, dude, where Craig Grosso did the naked run. Exactly. And we just then Vic, we, Vic Murphy. So Look at that flat. I know. That is one of the most iconic tables. So um, Brad McDonald actually sent me this for my housewarming gift. I got some cool friends. Like and, Craig and I. Yeah. And no, I think you really you've, do. You've, probably, you've probably seen that one. But that was me doing a fakey uh, a few, oh, it was probably January. But I love it because there's Pete Augustine, there's Dave Volker, and there's Mike Perenni. And that's Dennis Langlais in the background as well. So it was, it was pretty cool. But anyway, that's, that's the pool room. So pretty cool. My neighbor put the lights up the other night. I told him we were doing this, and I was like, dude, come on. I've been waiting four months. So he put the lights up for me. He's an electrician. So it came out not bad. Nice table too, man. I hope you're practicing on that because, you know, I got oh, one too. You can see it's been used a lot. It's well, that's good. Olhausen. I haven't used it once. Dude, I haven't even opened the bloody Dude, super bowls. You better practice, buddy. I got a pool table too. And when I come hang out, you better have your game up to snuff, dude. Ah, man. Oh, and the one last thing. We're going to play for me, that bike. I don't have all my bikes set up yet. Okay. So all the bikes are not set up yet. But this is the reason I bought this house. So everyone sees the garden or wants the pool. I wanted this wall. It's 20 foot high, if you can see up there. So that's two-story high wall. And I just got a NOS set of blue Shimano DX pedals to finish that bike off. So wow. these are the bikes I used to ride. So that's my 1990, although it's an 89 Master. That's an, uh, I rode that in 1990. And then that one up there is from the front cover of the book. Uh, that one, 
That's from 89. And then the top one is my first Harrow Sport. That was my first loan from my mum and dad. They gave me a loan for six months for 369 bucks to buy the Harrow Sport. There you go. That's amazing. That was um, awesome. Thank did that you. answer most Thank of the questions you were going to ask? Yeah, because I was I was going to ask you about the bike. Now I know where the bike is. Yeah. And when I come play pool at the house, we'll just, you know, we can wager on the bike. Teach me. And I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to answer the question that I get asked probably the most when people ask me about John the the John Bulgin's interview. Yes, I do now own a 26 Haro Master a DMC. It gets ridden every weekend. Um and John, you'll love this. My daughter uh is 7 years old and uh it is her favorite bike to ride with. Uh, so every weekend we go on a bike ride as a family. Um and we we do a 10-mile loop. And my daughter uh, is not confident enough to ride her bike that far. So she gets a pillow from the couch. This is so like, this is just like, <laughs> this is so cheesy. I, it, it's embarrassing, but I'm going to tell you anyway. She gets a pillow from the couch. She puts it down. Her mom rides that master. Um, and, and Taryn sits on the double top tube because like it's enough for her butt to sit down. And she sits on this pillow and I put some front pegs on it. So she, you guys, I ride this bike. So I, if you watch first the first uh, interview with John, John heard my Haro my Haro Master story. Everyone knows like I'm I'm obsessed with the Haro Master. I did find um, some Haro some pictures of myself on my Haro, and I'm gonna get them. I won't make everyone watch this with us, but I, as soon as the interview's over, I'm gonna go get my photo album. Um, but uh, John was like, "Hey, I'm gonna hook you up with the the sample Haro Master." So I I do own the the Haro Sample Master. John followed through exactly what he said he was going to do. It's at my house. I do tail whips on it all the time. Um, I need to tell you the, the, the Zoltone, that master with the bash guard that Craig has, they have one at Phoenix bike company. And I was like, Hey man, let me ride it. They have two of them. They were like, I was like, Hey man, let me ride it. And I took it out. And I think I sent you the video and both times with, with just jumping on the bike that bike, I can tail whip it every, like and land it right. I mean, without adjusting anything, that bike is dialed. Who did you design that, or did someone who designed that bike? Yeah, I designed someone. That, someone that rides like designed that bike because the bottom bracket. This is so nerdy, you guys. But the bottom bracket height on a twenty six is usually pretty low. So to do a tail whip, I'm I'm, I'm stuck here. Um, your foot goes in the tire and your, your, your foot is way low on a 175 crank. So to do a tail whip, you have to really push your hips up to get the bike standing up on the fork. And then you have to almost dislocate your hip to push that big fucker around to get the tail end around on the horizontal It's like butter, dude. Like you can watch the video I posted on my Instagram. It just goes boop, and it looks like I'm so dialed. And I, truth, truth be told, that was me getting on and do it first time, landed it. And Sean, the, the guy that built the bike at, at Phoenix Bike Company, was like, do it again. Like, he thought it was, it was a fluke. And I thought it was a fluke. <laughs> you can hear on the video me going, I don't know if I can do it again. Aww. Jump right on. I ride down to the next, like, entryway. I do it again on video. And he's like, God damn, dude. And I was like... I need to borrow 1600 bucks. <laughs> I need to borrow 1600 bucks. Um, 
who des- who designed that bike? This has nothing to do, like I'll probably cut this out, but I just want to did you design that? You had to have yeah. somebody I designed I designed the whole I come up with the ideas and the concepts and everything. <coughs> I get product managers, I get all the product managers to jump back in and and do all the boring parts with all the the specifications and stuff like that. But yeah, I come up with all the ideas and the concepts and everything else and then go back and forward with Asia with the drawings and everything else. So but uh, yeah, Mike Perenni actually was working at Harrow whilst we were doing those bikes. So uh, Mike, Mike was there for about nine months helping me get those bikes here. So I love them. I mean, they're just, they're so smooth. They're so solid. Um, yeah, I never have a, I never an issue or a problem from any lineage bike we've ever sold, which is fantastic. No, I love mine. I got to, I got to give, you know, Isaac, uh, kudos for bringing that up and give props to you and everyone involved because I love my 26 Haro Master Bash Guard Zolotone. How, how is the paint job? Oh, I mean, we made a video about it, John, and we, we posted up an unboxing and, and, and put the video together and I couldn't help, but like, you know, take my camera and go right up to the frame. Cause you never, you hardly see, um, such detail in the, in the paint jobs on, on production bikes. This one has it, you know, it's got everything. It's the decals are so, uh, you know, they're, they're cool. You look at them, um, all the components are top notch. I mean, this is a, it's an, it's a great bike. And even on a 26, believe it or not, and not, you can have a lot of fun on a 26. Um, you know, tw- all the 20 inch guys are saying they like the 26 inch as well. So I have a lot of fun on it. I'm actually kind of, I'm, I'm a little hesitant always to take it out because I bail a lot. And so <laughs> the bike's always, I'm going over the top or it's slamming down, but it's a lot of fun. So you have to ride it. It's, it's made to ride. It's a lot of fun, yeah, man. I mean, that was it. Like, um, even that paint job. So I think I told you guys in the last podcast, it was Nick Watts, the flatland Nick guy, Watts. that helped oh, yeah. me create that artwork again. So Harold didn't have that artwork. So Nick Watts, uh, you guys, if you're following Flatland yeah. or R.L. Osborne, you'll see R.L. gave a shout out to Nick Watts because he is so new school. So he did all the artwork. The paint, my friend Gary from Melbourne, Australia, recreated that paint job about 15 years ago. So I had an old original Zolotone and he flicked off with a, with a Stanley knife or a switch, like a little blade and flicked off and tested those paint droplets. So there's a, there's a purple, really dark purple in there. There's a, there's a gray and then there's a pearlized clear purple going over pearl white. So to get all those colors, I actually came from, you know, my friend Gary, like 15 years ago, helping me pull my original that I bought on eBay, thankfully, 15 years ago. You could buy shit like this for like 200 bucks. So um, <laughs> I bought it, and we actually color matched it from the original 15 years ago, not realizing that I'd be here at Harrow uh, to recreate it for you today. It's shout out, okay, shout out to all those guys. Like I owe that dude a beer um, because that I was I was I was trying to wait for my time to like kind of break in, but it's like. There is like, it's almost like a pearl coat on there that you don't notice until you get outside. You have to get I took that bike outside. And and that's when you're like, this glows purple. And and you don't notice it when you're inside a bike shop. So if you go to a bike shop and you see one of these, just do yourself a favor, take it outside and then appreciate it because it's a whole new bike. Once you get sunlight that, that the sunlight bounces off that purple undertone that you don't see inside of halogen lights um all right so john thank you so much craig i i'm sorry i didn't get to all your questions um that you had but 
Uh, John, thank you so much. And, and Craig, uh, like, look at, uh, you're not on camera just, yet. But can I just say thank you to you guys? Cause this is amazing. Um, I mean, I am a huge fan of Glenn Fiddich. Um, my actual, my friend, Mark Thompson is the ambassador for Glenn Fiddich. So when we did our special screening, um, back in Scotland last year, he sponsored our screening with Glenn Fiddich. 200 of my friends and family walked in to a dram, we call it, a dram of Glenfiddich. So to you both, I don't know if I've told you, but this is a quake. Quake. A quake. And I am going to have a wee dram in your honor. So cheers, boys. Cheers, John. <laughs> Got it, dude. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dude, this is really good. Piece of resistance, huh? Okay, not it. Man, just watching you uh, have that that dram of through your quiff was a sight to see, brother. Oh, I'm man. glad you enjoyed it. Not quiff, 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 quiff. quiff. And uh, a special shout out to Buff. Buff, come down. I've got a drink for you. We love Mike Buff, Craig. Uh, anyway, John, thank you so much. Uh, for giving us your time and being so gracious about coming on and answering all of our questions about your movie um, on behalf of everyone that's watched that movie. Um, thank you so much for putting yourself out there for telling your story um, for dealing with, with, you know, nerds like us asking about two piece versus four piece bars. Um, you know, what, what it just, just everything that you did with that movie and the impact it has and the selflessness of you graciously accepting uh you know getting getting no payment out of that yet being such a great example of of hey you know what you can't control the world but you can control how you react to it um and and again you're just a, a teacher to the world of like you know what life doesn't always work out the way you want it to but at the end like the 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 result is really what what matters it's not about the money it's about impacting people's lives and and such class that you've handled that i mean i i, I would not have been as cool as you are um you know I it's mean, just such honestly, i say I, I can't wait because i know you're going to watch the movie again i can't wait to you now watch that grave scene because i know that affected you in a big way and i acknowledge you for being the man you are because um, it takes a man to show their feelings. It really does take a, huge, a, a true man. So the next time you, you watch the grave scene, you're really going to get what I was going through at that point. And, and I got to say goodbye to her. So I feel very blessed and honored. And I mean, I do. I, um, I had a friend the other day tell me, she, she actually said to me, she goes, look, you, you know, your, your biological mother is looking down on you and, and she's here watching and, is so proud of you for what I've achieved in my life. And I just want to take a stand for every human being that you can be anything you want to be in life. I mean, yeah, like they say, you're more likely to win the lottery than have a movie, a Hollywood movie made about your life. But as I said, I got zero dollars, but I feel like the richest man in this world. And the more I can inspire, it will diminish any negativity that's going on out there because one life, one chance. Let's take a stand for each other and ride on. 
Right on, John. I want to say uh, in closing, man, thank you so much again for being on our show. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of this with you. I appreciate you for the man that you are for for making uh, this movie and, and telling your story. You want to talk about a man who shows his emotions and being a man. It's you, John. Um, you know, I'm sure you uh, the, the things that you felt, the, the story that uh, came about through the Hollywood movie has no, it doesn't even come close to what you've been through in your life. But from your story, from, from everything that you've done and where you're at now, uh, it's an inspiration. And I appreciate that. And I want to say thank you again uh, to you. And, uh, and, and I'm sure everyone else would, would like to have the opportunity to thank you as well. So for everybody who's, who is watching now, who has read the book, who has watched the movie or is going to watch the movie, because of this conversation here, thank you emphatically from my heart and, and the hearts of others who will, who will be a part of this, this movie as well and a part of your life. Um, we want to say thank you for that, John. We really appreciate you. Um, Isaac, do you have any closing words before we uh, finish this out? Nope. I'm going to have you send this out. Uh, but my, yep. my only request is that you, again, Amazon Prime, go on the ride. Watch it. Leave a review. Leave an honest review. I'm, I'm not going to tell you to leave a five-star review if you don't think it's a five-star film. I want you to really put down your heart and in, in what you feel about uh, what you experience when you watch that movie, leave a review and just take a moment. I'm going to, I'm going to look up before I, you know, during the editing of this, I'm going to put it in the description. I'm going to put the Twitter account for Amazon uh, UK. If they have one, just some way I'll, I'll put some way to contact Amazon um, so that you can you can get this shown globally. We we definitely want to see it in the UK. We want to see it in Australia so that that John's family can see that. Um, I'll put all of Amazon's Amazon Prime's uh, contact information out there so that we can do what we can as a bike community. Um, you know, hey, we've got you know a little over two thousand subscribers right now um, in the year twenty twenty when this is being filmed. If everybody that subscribes to this just takes five minutes out of your day to send an email or a tweet or some kind of social message to Amazon, it would have a huge impact on getting this movie shared, uh, you know, globally. So that's my only ask is that you, you know, at the very least take two minutes to go leave a review. I've done it. You can look through the reviews. You'll see Isaac. Uh, I gave it a five star because of, of the, the impact it had on me. Um, but I want you to be honest with your review, give it as many stars as you feel it deserves leave an honest review uh, and, and and do what you can to try and get this message out there because it is 2020. And when you look back at this 10 years from now, if you happen to see this on YouTube uh, and my, my beard is even more white uh, and hopefully I look more <laughs> handsome, uh, you know, that would, that would be great. But um, when we look back at this, it, it, you know, the, what was going on in our, in our lives right now with, you know, it's an election year the the that people are starting to stand up for injustice like i've never seen in my generation um this is definitely a movie that speaks to people's situation um it definitely has the impact it has the ability to impact the way people look at the people around them we're coming together as a world as a global community dealing with a pandemic and this is just a great way to get outside of what you believe about the world and maybe some of the institutionalized beliefs that you may have been grown, you may have grown up with and are just now starting to deal with um, when you start seeing, you know, the injustice in the world, 
that is just right there in your face. So um, it's definitely, a, it's, it's, I tell people it's not a BMX movie that has a lot of great BMX in it. Um, but it's, it, I dare you to watch this movie and not come away affected by it. I dare you. So uh, John, again, thank you. Leave a review about the ride on Amazon prime, Craig, please send us out. And I appreciate you. I love you, brother. Hey, can oh. I say one thing before you're finishing off, Craig, thank you for Etnies. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. You know it right oh. here. I'll, oh, I'll wait, wait, wait. <laughs> hey, oh, 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 hey, hey, yep. All right. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, John. Appreciate I think, that. I, I thank the guys at Etnies as well, because they did. They, they helped us um, deck out everyone on the film. Um, and it was just, it was brilliant. So seeing that it just reminded me and, I just, again, I wanted to acknowledge you both and thank you both for having me. And yeah. Right on, John. Thank you so much. Everybody, thank you. Actually, John, thank you for who you are. The brand manager, the man, the myth, the legend, and the Hollywood actor for being on the show with us, for having fun, for hanging out again with two nerds that you know just love this and will eat it up every single time we want to also give a major huge shout out and thank you to all the listeners all the subscribers everyone who's uh supported us uh, here at big bike bmx thank you for showing up again we cannot wait to keep doing interviews and specials with you like this with the um, people that are involved in our community and our lives and john being one of one of the uh, uh people that we love to hear about love to see um Thank you to every listener that's out there. We want to thank the show sponsor, Night Bike Company, for sponsoring the show. We want to thank Etnies Shoes and John Pova with Etnies for uh, supporting the show as well. Ride Out Supply and Crush BMX. And we just want to say, if you're not subscribing, please subscribe. Please hit that bell so you can have a reminder when we have more episodes coming up like this that you do not want to miss. Um, if you're at work, out riding your bike, doing whatever you do outside of your house or, or out away from the TV, go ahead and subscribe and find us on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts where your listening pleasures can all be satisfied and fulfilled. With Big Bike BMX, thanks again to everyone for showing up here. Until next time, I'm 80s BMX Craig, and that's my bro, Isaac. Isaac, let's do it. Peace.